Welcome to Betamax Rewind, the only podcast that avoids all the isms. Really? Sexism? Eh. Ageism? Eh. Well, we don't touch Marxism. Idiots. Here are two guys who are more Statler and Waldorf. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Hey, boo! Boo! Then Siskel and Ebert, Matt and Doug. You do a really good Stetler and Waldorf. Yeah, I do. Could you hear the dog come into the room with its toy and shaking its toy around like, hey guys, pay attention to me. I'm pretty sure there's a dog bark in one of your clips too. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I was not, considering the length of some of the clips in this movie, I was not going to start from the beginning. Okay. So so it's Matt. How are you doing, Doug? Um, This week, it was like having a knife fight on a roller coaster, man. Up and down? Oh, it's just, it's just rough. So, we'll get into it. Somebody actually asked me, they said, so how, how long of a break do you take between seasons? I'm like, you can you do that? <laughs> That's an option? Well, actually, it has been a little bit over a week because this is uh, Friday. Yeah. And last week was, was it was Wednesday. So uh-huh. this is, you know, it's over a week since the last time we met. But sure. anyway, let's go ahead and jump into it. And now it's time for podcast housekeeping. Well, um, so our, our born on date is May 18th, 2020. Yeah. I did check that out earlier today, actually. Yeah. We are, we are an RCH short of our three year anniversary. And I, I mentioned this off of off air last week at, at the end of the podcast. And, um, I want to thank you for three good years of, of podcasting. You know, I want to thank people... you for two and a half good years across <laughs> us three. <laughs> There's a couple, couple, you know, bumps in the road, but a couple of shit burgers in there, some yes. bad audio, but you know, I mean, people may say that I've got my shit together. Like, oh, he's got a great job, and oh, he's got a great family, and oh, he's got a huge cock. But you know, <laughs> all that aside, um, I have issues in my life, and this couple of hours each week that I get to do this podcast is an escape from the rigors of being a dad and a husband and a business owner and a coach and a cub master, et cetera. I look forward to it. And I, I appreciate the hard work that you put into this podcast. It means a lot to me that I get to hang out with you for a couple of hours and, and you really make sure that the, the product that we put out is more than mediocre. <laughs> It, so, it's but, professionally produced that, you know, the content itself, you know, it depends right. on the week. That's what I mean. Yes. So, but thank you. Thank no, you. And I, I really appreciate it. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And I actually did say something to Jen after we were done last week. And I had, I actually have that audio because it was when I record, I record in two places and I had not stopped one of the two places and I didn't bother to go back because I thought, you know, if you wanted to talk about it, that that's fine. I don't have any issues with it, but I didn't want to kind of throw you under the bus with that, you know, to s- spoil the illusion of mean dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that aside, time to jump into housekeeping. Um, after listening to the, the ginger lane Lynn thing a couple of times, mm-hmm. I gotta say, I think I got a chance with ginger Lynn. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was, it was 25 bucks for the cameo. So <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, if she's willing to, you know, do that for 25 bucks, she's going to take a look at a guy like me and go, yeah, not a bad option. You know, I, I, I know that you've done cameos before. And well, at least one cameo, because you did the cameo for your dad from Brett right. Favre. So you know the process. And it is, you have a very, very small amount of characters to work with to put out your request for what they're going to say. Oh, absolutely. When I did the one for my dad with Brett Favre, he fucking licked the stamp and mailed it in. I mean, it it was so, hard. let's just hurry up and get this done. I got 50 more of these to do tonight. But, you know, I, I packed in as much stuff as I possibly could. So pull uh-huh. that, isolate that audio. And she, <laughs> she ran with it and she did it. She did a great job. Yeah, and, she did. And I was telling, you know, people at work that, you know, I, I made a, I had purchased a cameo for, from who? Uh, Ginger Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Uh, well, there was some of that. And then there, then there was some just shaking their head and just kind of walking away. <laughs> but uh, last week, uh, Myla Kunis was the woman in the first Ted movie. Couldn't come up with her name. Oh, uh, all right. Um, the, cause she's got a great ass from Al Pacino. You did not believe that that was from heat. You thought that that was from scent of a woman. Yes. Hoo-ah. He's blind. He's blind in that movie. How would he know who has a great ass and who doesn't have a great ass? He still has a sense of taste. <laughs> you didn't think Don't I'd have a quick answer to that. Did you? <laughs> Don't look at it. Eat it. I actually have that clip. Not, 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 it's, it's out there somewhere. Um, we talked about cursed roles, cursed movie roles. Yeah. Uh, so there's the poltergeist one, obviously. Okay. Uh, Superman was listed and, but some of it was not so much that bad things happen to the people as so much as their careers cratered afterwards. But there was an interesting one. Billy Bob Thornton co-stars. Oh, all right, do tell. J.T. Walsh, Jim Varney, hey Vern, um, Heath Ledger, Bernie Mac, and John Ritter all died shortly after being in movies with Billy Bob Thornton, and I think the oldest one of them died at like the age of 62. What movie was he in with Heath Ledger? I do not know. Um, I just oh. know that that's what the website said when I Googled oh. for cursed movie uh, roles. Okay. Or being in the Twilight Zone. Have you ever seen the raw footage of that? Yes, I have. Ooh, it's not good. Yeah, it well it depends on what, what trips your trigger, but no, it's not. Yeah. Monster's Ball. Uh, oh, Heath Ledger was in that? Yes. I know Halle Berry was in that. Yes. And so, rumor so has it, he there was some real penetration in that scene. Yeah, probably cost him an extra 25 bucks. Uh-huh. Uh, the wife of Nick Jonas... And apparently, I butchered her name last week, according to friend of show Joey. Okay, Priyanka Chopra. She's the chick that's in the Citadel TV show on Amazon. She was the 2000 Miss World. Okay. Uh, Coney Island is is part of Brooklyn, not not part of New Jersey. Oh, well, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. The 1957 movie with Kirk Douglas by Stanley Kubrick is Path to Glory or Paths to Glory. Do you need to restart? You seem like you're you're, you're like chewing on your dentures or something. <laughs> <laughs> Am I? You're just having a little problem enunciating. Am I? I'm sorry. That's right. Uh, I'm... Get that cock out of your mouth. Um, <laughs> the, the song 
from the end of the film that was originally by Joe Walsh and later redone by the Eagles was not in any other films. Oh, all right. Speaking of um, the Warriors, you had asked, how many gang members do you think the Warriors actually have? I know a lot of you aren't too happy about going out on patrol. Just remember this. Out of a street family of 120 plus affiliates, you were chosen for this expedition. And that makes you special. Is that from deleted scene? It is. So 120. It's a lot, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a big gang. I, we never posed the question last week. So what do these gangs do? Do they just have like club meetings where they read comic books and take minutes? Or do they actually drug trade participate in criminal activities? I would assume criminal activities. All right. But just to kind of like piggyback on what you said, the population of Coney Island um, mm-hmm. is about 25,000, at least as of the last census. All right. So you know, it's not a, a ton, but still it's some. Okay. I have nothing else. Okay. Subway ride from the Bronx to Coney Island is 90 minutes, assuming there are no delays. We had talked about, um, I was looking for a, I like it clip, and I didn't know what it was from. You said it was from RoboCop. I like it! Yep. That's it. And that's the guy who plays Dr. Drake Ramore. <laughs> yeah. He goes, falls on an elevator shaft <laughs> because he was fucking with the writers. And the only one that could save him was him. <laughs> <laughs> that actually was the plot of a, uh, I think, Tales from the Dark Side. Oh. Uh, mirror rules, as far as like who gets the seven years of bad luck, I could not find any. <laughs> the Cylon bad guy was Count Baltar. Count Baltar. Yes. That's the, and who was, what was the name of the? Uh, the butt plug head guy? Yeah, the but, multicolored <laughs> butt plug. That's Lucifer. Lucifer. Yeah. Somehow, for some reason, I'm shocked you did not catch this. At the end of the podcast, I stopped calling the the head gang or the biggest gang the riffs, and I started calling them the griffs. Oh, did you? I like oh, it! Sorry, wrong one. So what's up to you, butthead? So, yeah, the griffs. Okay. Uh, there is actually an ad-free tier of Paramount+. Plus, So I could watch uh, Star Trek without commercials, but it is double the cost of the regular well, did you see that Disney and Hulu are going to be combining one app? And, and well, Disney's also supposedly going to cut a bunch of content, which I don't see how they could do that because they don't have that much stuff. No, they don't. And it's like, why do I continue to have Disney? Disney, I should only just say fuck it. I'm, I'll binge a Star Wars series after it's done and get it for that week and then cancel because we don't really watch it. Yeah, no, I mean the way they do it is genius because they basically space out the Star Wars series just enough. So there's a month between them. Mm-hmm. So uh, do I really want to wait? Blah, 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 blah. And then the last thing I have is uh, I talked about some Australian porn I watched. Oh, okay. It's uh, Girls Out West. Ah. And a lot of them are very, very 80s in their style. Just put it that way. Oh, they got big bushes? Yep. <laughs> So moving on. Who did better? Was it Doug or Matt? 
actually had to rent a movie to get one of these clips. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I, I was shocked I didn't already have it, and I was sh- even more shocked I could not find it on YouTube. But uh, it's actually, I think, one of the last ones. The first one is me. It's IG-12, man. No. Oh, no, that's IG-12 now. Do you like him? I think I got the Mando part from when you did it. <laughs> you <laughs> no, Mando, me. it's IG-12. Uh, the next one is also me. Why don't you go find out? Why don't you go find out? It's not as good yeah. as your Harrison Ford, but little is. No, no, no. Uh, the next one is, is you, and it's more of a visual, but it's one of my favorite things that it keeps coming up on this podcast for some reason. Do you know what it is? No, I don't. <laughs> Somebody running off, flapping their arms. Yes. <laughs> the The next one is me. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Once again, my Harrison Ford, not quite as good as yours. I didn't catch that. Huh. Uh, the next one is actually both of us. Once. Once. My mother shot me once. Or no. My mother hung me on a door once. Yeah. My father hung me on a hook once. <laughs> once. Not even close. Nope. Uh, this is the one. No, next one is you, which has popped up on the podcast. And I almost went with a different version of this, but this is also you. You're not going to ignore me, Dan. I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. Once again, words are wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, th- this is the one I had to actually rent a movie for. I, I fooled them all. <laughs> I fooled them all. Oh, that's why that showed up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next one is just labeled, it's one of two different things in on the soundboard labeled Aussie stuff, and this is both of us. Toss off, you sada. Up yours also. You ain't worth a toss. The sharks got smarter. The sharks got smarter. I'll give you mine that was, one. Yeah, mine was better. <laughs> and then the last one is you. I am the warrior. warrior. I'm going to give it to you this week, Matt. Victory is mine. Apparently I didn't update that one. Um, Okay. So moving on to, oh. Hey man, what's new now? What's fucking new now? Bunch of little stuff. It's, like I mentioned, this week was like having a knife fight on a roller coaster. We we refer to May as Maycember in this house because everything fucking happens in May, and it just happened to all happen this week. So it rained on Monday, which means, once again, two Mondays in a row, I got to find somewhere to go with 20 to 25 appointments. So instead of doing the 18 to 20 appointments a day, I'm now doing 25 appointments a day, which is a real fucking ass kick- kisser. Kicker. Um, I'm not like you. Ass eater. I was supposed to go out of town tonight or tomorrow morning, and I was like, nope, can't do it, man. I got to work. So, yeah, Monday night, baseball practice. Tuesday, way to concert. Wednesday, way to concert. Last night baseball practice and jam over to a concert. So it's just been fucking nuts. But in the car with my youngest coming back from baseball practice, we were talking baseball and luck. And I told him, I said, you know, luck favors the prepared. And he goes, who are they? I'm like, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it's pretty insightful from a 10 year old. And then for some reason on Facebook, I see like 
comments from you in your private groups. And I don't know why. Like your your podcaster or roadcaster groups that you're part of. Yeah. I For some reason, I see your comments. And then there was something about Doctor Who. You're in some like weird Doctor Who. Yeah, 3D printing group. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I went in there to, to uh, answer or to just call you a nerd. And you couldn't because it's a private group. <laughs> it's a private group. And it started asking me all these questions about Doctor Who. And I answered them all wrong. So I couldn't get into the group <laughs> to call you a nerd. <laughs> It's probably best. Probably best. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so our church, we we work with this organization called The Guest House, which is in Milwaukee. And it's like a halfway house for men who made some bad or fucked up decisions in their life. And now they're staying here trying to get their lives back on track. So we bring them meals and stuff. And, and at one of the concerts, our pastor was there to watch a couple of the kids that are that go to our church and she sits down next to me and she goes, are you available the first weekend in October? I'm like, no, sorry. That's, that's a, a, a Cub Scout thing. We, we have an a all day thing on that Saturday. And she goes, oh, cause one of, one of the people that is in, in our, belongs to our church races cars at Slinger. And it's, we were all planning on going there and we're doing this underwear drive for the guest house. And I was just really hoping that you could dress up as Captain Underpants. And I'm like, yeah, no. I, Even if I could, I'm not going to dress up as Captain Underpants. And then a couple days later, I, I was stroking my chin and I thought about it. And I'm like, she fucking profiled me because I'm bald and a little bit tubby in the middle. She fucking profiled me to be Captain Underpants. What the fuck, man? Yeah, I, and, I wouldn't know what Captain Underpants looks like. I know there it's a series of books, I believe. And... One or two movies, and it's a. They hypnotize the principal to become Captain Underpants, okay. and he's bald and a little bit tubby in the middle. Yeah, and then today I have this customer that has uh, a horse ranch, and it's a long driveway at which on either side are flanked by horse pastures. And as I'm driving up, I see all the horses out. And one of my jobs is to treat this horse barn. And I have to let myself through this gate to treat the barn. And I'm kind of in a stable. So as I'm I'm spraying, I'm trying to dodge horse apples mm-hmm. and spray at the same time for wasps. It's the only thing that they want me to do is spray for wasps. And I come back the other way and all of a sudden I hear in the distance, <laughs> and also I look and I go, oh, um, this, this stable is open to all those other horses, and two of them come fucking charging in. And imagine me, all geared up with my backpack sprayer and my mask and everything, and can you picture, like, Chris Farley or Jim John Belushi kind of doing the two-footed shuffle with their hands out, like, what do I do? What do I do? What yeah. do I do? I know what you're saying, that was, yeah. That, that was me, and I look and I see the fence, and I'm like, I'm not going to make it to the gate and unlock that gate and be able to close that. I just ran to the fence and fucking jumped up over that thing. And the horses came tearing in. I don't know if they're coming after me or if they're chasing each other. But fuck, man, did my heart rate go up about 80 BPMs. Yeah. I mean, horses scare me. I think it's just they're they so do. large. I know they do. They scare you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very proud of myself because... In, in two year stories, I, I'm like, oh, I got a joke. Ooh, I got a joke. <laughs> and, and you didn't tell it? Yeah, because House for Wayward Men. Um, oh. And, and then um, 
something about horsey girls. You know, there, there, there were opportunities there that I passed. Oh, sure, 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 sure. And then I was on Facebook again, and I saw a meme that somebody had posted something to do with don't coach to prove to other parents that you're a great coach, coach to help kids. All right. Something to that extent. Mm -hmm. And uh, in scouts and, and on the baseball team. And I asked her if I could tell the story and she gave me permission. And then she's like, why do you want to tell it? I'm like, Oh, we, I do a podcast. Oh, really? What podcast do you do? It's not important. <laughs> it's, it's, again, I, I pulled out the, uh, it's sexism in post-French Revolution <laughs> literature. One day that's going to come back to bite you in the ass. That was their well, major in college. She said, she's like, I would listen to that. I'm like, I'm joking. It's 80s movies. And then she never did ask what it was. But again, anybody could Google our names and just type in podcast. Right. Exactly. It, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, She's she's a divorced, a divorcee, and she's a cool chick. And uh, her ex doesn't participate in the things that she signs her kids up for. So her kid missed a couple of practices because he was with the dad. Okay. And I and, and I was texting with her. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's that's disappointing. I explained my situation, being a child of divorce, that I didn't have either parent that really wanted to participate. I mean, my dad was too busy and my mom moved far enough away that she could still kind of have a relationship with, but it was far enough away that she couldn't come to school and take us to activities. I mean, she fucking moved to the north side of Milwaukee when her and my dad got divorced. Who the fuck does that? There's plenty of apartments in like Oconomowoc and Pewaukee. Right, and yeah. It, it's just... Just in the last couple of years did I have that revelation of, what the fuck, man? What were you thinking? But she wasn't. But um, I told her, I said, you know, they're lucky to have you. And then this was something that, like, really made my week. She said, you know, she values the strong men <laughs> that her boys see in coaching and in scouts. And she hopes that those relationships make a difference. And I was like, oh, it made me feel really good. So. Yeah, I see, I've seen several movies that start that way. Strong man. I'm reading it, and it didn't make me laugh until I actually said it out loud. So. Right, anything else? No, that's it. Okay, so I have a, a bunch of questions for you amongst mm. my stuff. So, Okay, so I got to pay attention. Huh? Yes. Uh, and the first thing is, uh, in the last week or so, I've I've seen my jealous side rear up at weird times with my wife. And it has it it's nothing that she did that kind of like it's not like, you know, I I caught her doing something or I saw that she was texting with it wasn't it was nothing that she did. It was just my own insecurities and stupidities and realization of she could have done a lot fucking better. But it made me think that you know, you got married. What was your wedding song? Oh, it was uh, uh, it was Frank Sinatra, right? Yeah, World on a String, World by a String, or I got the world by a string, sitting on a rainbow. H have you ever been at a wedding and the wedding song is just, it's not really a great choice for a wedding song? You know, I really, I guess I don't think I've ever given it any thought. 
I, I could not think back to all the weddings that I've been to and name a single wedding song other than my own. But you know, there are songs that are really popular or used to be really popular in bars and they were women adopted them as like their anthems and stuff. And Hey, you ever really listened to the lyrics of this things like, um, uh, paradise by the dashboard light or two out of three ain't bad where neither of them are songs about a healthy relationship. But Jen and I went to a wedding and their wedding song was, uh, I will always love you. The Whitney Houston version. Mm -hmm. That's not a song about a couple that's together. Yeah, I guess I I guess I've never really listened to the lyrics, but yeah, we you you sucked another man's cock, but I will still always love you. Yeah, okay. I I think you actually nailed the lyrics, but I th- I think the most awful example is my brother brother's second wedding song. His second wedding song was by the Gin Blossoms. And, and he, I think I I think I, I think I only know one song by the Gin Blossoms, which is what. Okay, I I don't know if that's it or not, but his, <laughs> I think that's the Gin Blossoms. His wedding song was "Hey Jealousy." Yeah, "Hey Jealousy," <laughs> but just not. Okay, it's just weird. What's weird? No, the the it, "Hey Jealousy" being your wedding song. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's weird. So you had brought up the 3D printing stuff. I've been doing, when my one son was home from college, like he is into the 3D, 3D printing. So stuff gets printed when he's here. And then when he leaves, it kind of continues for a little while and then it kind of drops off. But I, I printed a bunch of artwork to put up around the house. Mm. And, and I was told, you cannot have that out. <laughs> was that the, uh, the torso of the naked woman? Yes. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Jen. I, I don't. <laughs> then, when, when what, are you, hey, when are you going to 3D print me a USS flag? All the pieces and stuff. <laughs> it would probably, it would cost a lot less than actually getting a USS flag. You probably, yeah. Because after the one that Launcher sent to me, and that 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 thing's in sad shape. Man. Is it? I, I, I looked at oh. it very briefly. And it's oh, like, it's, it's, it's not good. It's missing so many pieces. But every so piece like, on that thing is like 150 bucks. I'm like, oh, I'll go look on eBay and see what they are new. Yeah, three thousand dollars. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and that's like, where do I put it? It's it. It would make me feel good for about twenty minutes, and then I'd go, "What did I do?" I mean, if I could find one for like hundred and fifty bucks, I would definitely pick it up. Oh well, yeah, but if it's, I mean that one was three hundred bucks, and it was missing elevators and all kinds of missile. I mean, it was missing a ton. There was there were like bread ties holding pieces of it together. Well, you know, the toy is also 35 years old. Of, of course. Yes. Yes. So the, the next thing is, and you'll find this hard to believe, but uh, my Porsche, I keep very, very clean. I don't believe it. I like if you sit in my Porsche, it's it's empty. There's there's nothing in it. There's no like McDonald's bags or cups or anything like that. My the, I keep the Porsche clean. All right. Except... On certain times, like when I take it to work, if I stop someplace to buy something, I might leave like the shopping bag with whatever I bought in there if I didn't bring it into the house because I'm taking my computer and stuff in. Mm -hmm. But we had mulch delivered last Friday Mm -hmm. and the mulch guy put down the um, 
the pallet of mulch in front of our, the third car bay, which meant mm-hmm. that I couldn't take my regular car. Mm-hmm. And I told the kids, because both kids were home, and one of them had Jen's car, one of them had um, their car, that I needed one of the cars so I could go pick their mother up at the airport at 7.30 because I did not want to take the Porsche to the airport in case it rained and also just from a luggage perspective. Yeah, neither kid showed up. So I'm I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm like, fuck, I gotta gotta take the Porsche, I guess. So I took the Porsche and as I'm driving, I realized I have a bag of Of panties (laughs) in the passenger side. That's not good. <laughs> That's not going to make me look good. Why do you have a bag of panties in your car? I have an explanation for it, but I wasn't sure if that would actually be accepted as an accept, ex, as an explanation. So there okay. was that. Why did you have a bag of panties in your car? Because I had been out at lunch that day shopping at Walmart. And every now and then Walmart will just have like this clearance bin of panties for like 10 cents each. <laughs> So when I do that, when I see that, I, I stock up. Okay. But when we got mulch last year, we got 70 bags of mulch. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. So we got, I think, 75 bags of mulch this year. Mm-hmm. That should be enough, you'd think, right? How many cubic yards is one what, one bag of mulch? Aha! Or, <laughs> last year, not- they were two cubic yards. This year, the bags were one cubic yard. Well, no. A cubic, because we get six cubic yards for, uh, so it's, your bags are not two cubic yards or one cubic yard. That oh, would be impossible. All right. Well, that's what I thought they said. Well, it was okay. double the size no matter what. All right. So we ended up really short. So we ended up having to go to the like local place mm-hmm. and, and try to get stuff that matched. And we got as much as we could in the car, brought it back. It's like, we need more bags. So Jen went back with the receipt, gave them the receipt and said, I need 10 more or however many more you can get. They gave her the wrong fucking kind. Oh God. (laughs) So now the mulch doesn't match. Well, blend it in like they do with in the great escape where they've got the bags of sand in their legs and they just walk out into the yard and kick it out like a turd and, and they kick it and then they mix it in. Yeah. Uh, you've probably never seen the great escape. Is that with Steve McQueen? It is with Steve McQueen, James Garner. It's the one with the motorcycle jump? It is. Yeah, no, I've never seen it. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, and it doesn't affect either of us, but if if you have a mortgage and you have good credit, you are now getting fucked. Oh, yeah. I did see that. And I, I cannot believe that we live in a world where this is actually happening and people justify the reasons behind it. So you work hard, you don't default on credit cards, you don't have bad credit, and you get penalized because you have good credit. Matt, this is... Do you not realize that this has been going on for decades in other ways, other shapes and forms? This one is just seems so blatant, though. Because well, they're all blatant. They're, they are all, it's all blatant. It's all, it's all the redistribution of, of wealth and... Yes, is there a huge wealth disparity in this country? Absolutely, but there's other ways to solve that problem instead of just giving people free shit. So, and to end on kind of a a funner note, um, either when you were growing up and you had girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, and with your misses, do you have any nicknames or for her? Does she have any nicknames for you, or have girls had nicknames for you in the past? 
No, I've, my missus is the only one that's ever had nicknames. Python. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I've had I've had nicknames over the years from from different women, and all right, none of them. I, I didn't I didn't date long enough to establish that comfort level. Anybody else other than my missus? None. None of them were were very you know favorable or flattering. Yeah. Yes. Things like the you know the pleasure vacuum, vacuum the orgasm <laughs> denier, <laughs> things like that. But it it came up that. My my son, who's at home, he, he somehow his girlfriend. He was talking about his girlfriend has a nickname for him, and we were talking about it. And I am very very careful about not giving him too much shit about anything. Mm-hmm. And, and it led to this discussion between Jen and I of if we've ever had nicknames for people, or if people have had nicknames for us. And you know, she had nicknames for different guys. She does not have one for me, um, but. I, I've never, I never had that. So I don't know if, if that's missing out or what. Uh, apparently she told me she, she calls you tiny. Uh, well, I more on my list, the shortest tall guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then my friends called me either the jackal or uh, my favorite Maddie chow box, but All right. uh, moving on. Okay. Matt and Doug are at it again. Guess that sound and you are awesome. What movie will it be from? I really want to know. I would get this. It's very short. Okay. Well, yeah, joke. Anyway, okay, I'll play it. I can picture something in my mind, but I have no idea, so I'll play the middle one. Warriors, come out to play. What, what other movie was he in? I'm trying to remember now, because you said last week. I'm sure that's what it's from. I, I have no idea. Right. <laughs> remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you did. I lied. True lies, right? No, it's commando. <laughs> Shut up. And funnily enough, I have a picture of Schwarzenegger in commando right in front of me. Do you really? Yeah, because what there's a clip that's called What is a Commando? Oh. All right. So ready for the movie itself? Yeah, okay. So this is probably my shortest movie bed ever. But you had asked if this was a, a movie about semi trucks because it's breaker Morant. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Breaker Morant executing the Dutch. He's on trial for what he's gone and done. He was following orders from his British masters. Now they're the ones who are buddy fucking him. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This week we are doing Breaker Morant, released July 3rd, 1980, on a budget of $800,000. It grossed $4.7 million. Had a Rotten Tomato critic score of 100%. And an audience score of 91%. Directed by Bruce Beresford, best known for Driving Miss Daisy and Double Jeopardy. The only reason why I bring up Double Jeopardy is because Ashley Judd shows her boobs in that. 
based on the 1978 play of the same name, which was based on actual events. The script was almost immediately converted into the screenplay for the film. Starring Edward Woodward, best known for The Equalizer. Jack Thompson, best known for... Is my mother here? No, she's not. Cleve Lars. Shmi is my wife. Wow. <laughs> That's what I said. Do you know yeah. uh, the, the not the one who played Shmi, um, the one who plays... Uh, Owen? Baru. Oh, okay. Young Baru. Young Baru? She was part of uh, um, Nexium, the sex cult. The sex cult? Yes. Hey, how about that? Uh, also starring Brian Brown, best known for ending himself in Cocktail. Louis Fitzgerald, best known for 13 Lives, which is the Ron Howard Thai Cave Rescue Ladyboy movie. Didn't Elon Musk have something to do with that? No. Okay. I don't think so. Wasn't he? No, don't, didn't he call like the people that were doing the cave rescue pedophiles? They're, anyway, never mind. I don't know about that. You know, I he did. I don't know. I've, we've seen two documentaries and that movie, and I don't remember ever seeing anything about Elon Musk. Okay. So, neither one of us have seen this movie. Correct. Had you ever even heard of it? Yeah, I'd heard of it. I honestly, I thought it had something to do with trucking. <laughs> that's, that's Convoy with Chris Christopherson. Yeah. And, and oh God, who, who's the bad guy in that? Who's the guy that's, it's not Jackie Gleason. Because that would be Smoking, smoking the, bandit. the Bandit, yeah. Well, I was going to say, when you're in your song, but you went right into your thing, it's like, were they trying to drive Coors across the border in South Africa? <laughs> Certainly not Bud Light. And I apologize if you can hear, it is pouring rain here. Is it? Yeah. So there's oh. a little bit of thunder. I got a little scared dog up I, I, I do not hear that. So the movie starts with a crawl. The Boer War, 1899 to 1902, was fought between countries of the British Empire and the Boer, mostly Dutch population of South Africa. The issues were complex, but basically the Boers wished to retain their independence from England. By 1901, British forces uneasily occupied most Boer territory, but had difficulty winning an outright victory because of mobile Boer guerrilla forces. Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't it. What? The, the clip with the dog. <laughs> I'll oh. point it out when it when it happens. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you'll. I'm sure we'll be able to hear it. Yes. So the movie starts. It's a band playing. There's a mix of soldiers and civilians watching. Obviously, this is South Africa. A little bit of background because it's going to come up several times. But most of the South African settlers who were white were Dutch. Okay. And I don't. I really don't know much about the Boer War. Why were the... Obviously, South Africa was a British colony, and the Dutch just decided, Oi, we'll go there. Oi. I think it was it was partially to, like, throw off the yoke of the British Empire. And right in the beginning, you see the Union Jack fluttering in the breeze. And mm -hmm. it is interesting. This was the first film ever filmed in Australia that was supposed to take place in a different country. Are you serious or is I am 100% it was in it was in the IMDb notes several times. Oh, all right. But this is okay. a beautifully shot film. And Oh my gosh. Yes, the, the direction is 
fantastic. But watching it on HBO Max, which is how I watched it, it it's just there's a lot of it, it's so crisp and just the it's a very scenic, very very beautiful looking film. Mm-hmm. But but there, uh, there's a guy who's having a bucket jerk. <laughs> Hold on, says Petersburg Transvaal. The, so the, the the Transvaal must be a region of South Africa, and it's November of 1901. Yeah, and there's a guy. Yeah, he's having a bucket jerk. <laughs> he's, well, it's he's just a guy sitting in a big bucket washing himself, and he's he's got his like colonial white British helmet on. Mm-hmm. I kept on wanting to call them pith helmets, but they're not. They're not. But there's some black guys and some servants scrubbing laundry, soldiers marching in kilts. You know, the tradi- you know the traditional way to wear a kilt. You mean with no underwear? With no underwear, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Oh, I wouldn't have a problem with it. <laughs> I mean, you have to be very careful when you bend down and stuff. Why? But well, you show off your balls. So what? <laughs> I mean, I would be okay, moving right <laughs> along, but we jump right into the court scene. And basically this is the present day right here with just a shit ton of flashbacks that occur in this movie. Right. And there are three guys who are on trial facing three others. And the court asks them if they have anything to say. And oh, what the fuck is his name? Edward Woodward, the equalizer, that's Morant. He takes the stand, he stands and he gives his resume of his military career, which is quite impressive. And he takes full responsibility of the events that occurred at Fort Edward, acting under orders. Um, and he was quite disturbed by what happened to Captain Hunt. Oh, who's Captain Hunt? Michael. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, but yes. one thing, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but it, it it really kind of pulled me out of it as the, they're showing Morant talk. They break the 180 degree rule a couple times. What does that mean? So if you are, if you're filming a scene and somebody is on the right hand side of the screen and somebody's on the left hand side of the screen. Oh yeah. It can't, you can't go to the other side of it unless you do it in like continuous motion. But at one okay. point he's facing left and then they mm-hmm. cut and now he's facing right. And it, it's it's an interesting choice because that is like one of the things in like film school 101 that they teach you is the 180 degree rule. Well, doesn't it mean like if somebody enters from the left side, they're a good guy? And if somebody enters from the right side, they're a bad guy? Well, that's kind of like white hat, black hat. Um, yeah. That is more a, a symbolic thing, but it, it's not a rule. It's more just th- a thing that was usually done. Okay. All right. But now we get our first flashback. It's nighttime. Uh, there's a couple of officers that are talking and they're kind of facing a pretty shitty looking hut out in the middle of nowhere. And one says, oh, there's no sentries. And they ask an interpreter, I call him the Terp, uh, if the info is correct. And the Terp says that these guys that they're, that are in this house just returned from Cape Colony and are very weak. So these guys must be raiders or something like that. And then the captain, who we find out is Captain Hunt, says, uh, let's go take a look. And the Terp says, no, it's not good. But 
they go anyway. And we now we see from the, from the rear a line of soldiers walking up on this house. And what happens? Uh, they get ambushed. They get ambushed. And the captain gets hit. And he yells, stay back. And then we think he gets fatally hit. Correct? Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. I'm like, oh, okay, that guy's dead. And then... I thought this was Morant, but this is a different guy, orders them to fall back, and the Terp wants them to go back and get Hunt. Oh, yeah. And now, and now we see a guy, like one of the, the boars, come out of the house, and Hunt was playing possum. And he shoots the guy that comes out, and we, we, it takes a while in the movie to figure out what his fate was. We don't really actually see him get killed. And, you know, this is the third week in a row, I think, that uh, playing possum came up. <laughs> is it? I don't remember when it happened last week, but I know it's come up several times in a row. Okay. I'll but I think you have an it. ambush thing here. Do? Yeah. No, that comes that comes up just in just a second. Okay. Okay. Just a second. But now we cut to daytime with a guy, and that's this is Morant riding a horse. He's testing the horse. Or no, no, this isn't Morant. This is um, it's Brian Hancock. Brown. Yeah. Yeah, Hancock. Hancock. Or I call him yes. Coughlin or Co- Co- Coughlin the entire time. Coughlin? Yeah. Why Why do you call him Coughlin? Coughlin's Law. Oh, from Cocktail? Cocktail. Yes. <laughs> All right. And the patrol is back. The patrol that we just saw that got ambushed comes back. He rides out to see what happens. And then Morant comes out of the hut and he sees the wounded. And he sees Hunt's horse is empty. And then the Terp tells him what happened. Where's Captain Hunt? They were waiting for us. There were many men. Captain Hunt was shot. There was nothing we could do. Bullets whizzing around us like blowflies. Lost five men. George, get settled up. We're going on a trail. Come on, settle up. There was nothing we could do. They must have known we was coming. Known? Of course they bloody knew. You can't trust these folks. How many sides are you fighting on, mate? Hey, just because you sign a bit of paper don't mean the war's over. Well, Mr. Taylor said I said I must be your damned intelligence report. Eight boars exhausted, that's what you said. Horses with fever, you said. What do you say now? I say avenge, Captain Hunt. Avenge me! Avenge me! I shall avenge you. What's that one from? Oh, come on. Oh, this, come on. Okay. Well, the, the sound quality is so bad. Come on. Yeah. Where did you pull that off of like the, the, the record version <laughs> of Wrath of Khan? Yeah, there's it's the, the audio, the read along thing. The you read and the, say, the, yeah, yeah. Boop. <laughs> That's when you're supposed to turn the page. <laughs> but the, the guy who um, Morant is, is basically saying, yeah, your intelligence was bullshit is the same guy that was taking like responsibility earlier, right? No, that was Morant that says he took responsibility. Yes. Okay. This is the, this is the intelligent off intelligence officer who is, I was a little bit confused. Okay. So Hunt is British. Yes. Hancock is Australian. Correct. Morant is Australian. Correct. Morant. Well, Morant's English. Are you, see, that's, I was, I couldn't tell. I'm like, is he British or is he Australian? I don't know. 
Well, and I, and they, I think they this in- specifically wanted him to play the part for a couple of reasons. Number one is because he looked a lot like the real Morant. All right. And number two, because they wanted a marquee um, British actor for right. it. Okay. But, and then the intelligence officer, I believe, is English as well. So. But, the, but back, back to the back present. To the, yes. The three are uh, in jail, marched over, and we see a dude who we haven't seen before. This is the third guy. Yeah, the young guy. George. Yep. I will stroke him and feed him and love him. The rabbits, yeah. <laughs> yes. And they are brought before a guy who tells them the court of inquiry wishes to proceed with the court martial. Okay, let me ask you. Did you take a lot of notes for this movie? No, I did not. Really? No, uh, this is very, very few, honestly. Okay. And all right. Well, part of it is when you got a 10 minute long clip, there's, there's, you, you can skip that whole part of the notes. <laughs> and I did take them, but when I go back and I listen to the clips as I'm putting them in, I delete all the stuff that's said in the clips. So I, I oh. lose all of that in my notes. All right. But, um, yeah, because you, you only had like four clips well, for the movie. <laughs> Well, I have more than that, but those are the ones directly from the movie. But now we go to a nice house, and this nice house is probably someplace where, like, the higher muckety-muck British guys hang out. Lord, Lord Kitchener's place. This is the headquarters. And there's a guy with a sweet dick broom. And actually, yeah. there's a lot of sweet dick brooms in this film. Oh, yeah. Like but this the, guy the, has the-, the, the curl um, up. Yeah, he's got the, the Raleigh, Raleigh fingers. Fing- the, the Raleigh fingers dick broom. Yeah. And this is Bolton. He is- He's the, the, the head prosecutor. And I, I believe- this is a flashback also because um, Lord Kitchener says that he has a special case for him to handle. And then they have this discussion. Charles. My dear Charles. Good to see you again, sir. You come highly recommended, young man. Thank you, sir. I have a rather important prosecution I want you to handle. Yes, sir. Charles, you've heard of the Bushveld Carboners? Yes, I have, sir. A special force raised by Lord Kitchener to deal with the Boer Grillers. Correct. Colonials, most of them. Australians. I understand they've been quite effective, sir. Very effective. We've just arrested three of them for shooting Boer prisoners and a German missionary. I've received Bolton a telegraph message from Whitehall. The German government has lodged a serious protest. About the missionary in particular. Yes, sir. The Kaiser, as you know, is our late Queen's grandson. The fact is that Whitehall feels the Germans are looking for an excuse to enter the war. Ooh, the Germans are mad at me. I'm so scared. Ooh, the Germans. So are you going to talk about the differences between reality and what this movie portrays, or are you just going to go completely off the movie? Um, well, I mean, it, the reality was is that there were six of them. Correct. But they felt it would be easier to streamline this with just three of them. And it was also like 26 people they killed, including children. And then also, in addition to that, the this is where it gets a little bit kind of unclear. Officially, the, the Germans, there's no record of the Germans ever registering any complaint. There is lots of rumors that they did, but they never officially put anything in writing about it. Wow, so you did a deep dive on the IMDb notes. I did not. I read them is what I did, but I read them also 45 minutes ago. So, Oh, okay. Well, that's going to help. Yes. I think I read them. Three weeks kinda, ago? Yeah. Yeah. It's It's been a while. So 
Yeah, okay, let's see. So he gives him the file, the Penske file. Yeah. And says the evidence against them is overwhelming. And he asks who is handling the defense. And he's informed that these three guys selected one of their own, an Australian. So now the three of them are back in jail. They're cleaning themselves up. The young guy, George, he just can't believe that they are getting court-martialed. And he says, well, I joined because my family believes in the empire. How would you like to have that? Like you're all the way in this country, a continent on the other side of the world. And you have to pay homage to this empire, this itty bitty little fucking island territory or island country that rules over you. Well, how do you think Canada feels? Well, Canada is no longer run by the British. The, well, the queen was now the, the king is on their money. Are you sure? I don't think so. Yeah. I think I think Canada is they're done with the British completely. I don't think so. Well, but I, one one of the guys I, could, I maybe I, I could be wrong. I thought that they were completely independent now. And I mean, if that's the case, then we got to worry about the British invading us. I don't know. We, it worked out for us last time. But it did. Uh, one of the one of the guys and I think it, it it wouldn't make sense it was the young guy. I think it was and it wasn't Morant, so it must have been Hancock? Yeah. Uh, he says something about catching VD. And oh, I it, didn't catch that. It's very off the cuff, but he doesn't call it VD. He calls it something else. And I got the impression that George comes from money. There's something that okay. he said about when he was talking about his family believing in, in you know, the, the empire. Yeah. Yeah. And Hancock joined because of the depression and has a wife and kid and basically needed it. Yeah. He, he needed the, he needed the money. 20 bucks is 20 bucks, but he, he takes the, uh, Hawkeye Pierce or not the Hawkeye Pierce, the, the Trapper John page out of his book, as far as how he is when his wife and kid are away. Oh yeah. BJ Honeycutt was, stayed very loyal to yes. Peggy. Yeah. Whereas Trapper John and, um, Colonel Blake were dinking all kinds of chicks, all kinds of nurses in the supply closet. Yeah. But karma caught up to one of them. <laughs> As he spun into the sea of Japan. There were no survivors. Yeah. <laughs> but their, their lawyer comes in and they question him uh, specifically like what his, his history is, what his resume is and what kind of law does he do for the most part? Well, it's in this clip. As a matter of interest, how many courts martial have you done? None. None. Jesus, they're playing with a double-headed penny, aren't they? Would you rather conduct your own defense? But you have handled a lot of court cases back home, sir. No. As a country town solicitor, I handled land conveyancing and wills. Will. How many drops is this for you, Lieutenant? 38. Simulated. Simulated. How many combat drops? Uh, two. Including this one. Yeah, that's what I always said when um, I'd be hooking up with a girl and she asked how many women I slept with before. Like, 18. Simulated. <laughs> Simulated. Oh, I forgot. We forgot to say what... <laughs> I guess it's too late now, but I did pull the clip, so I want you to play it. What the third guy's name is. George. That's my brother, George. That's, That's Bugs Bug Bunny. Pretending to be Liberace. 
but you, as they're talking to the lawyer, they say something about, you know, I can't, I don't even know what it is, but he, the lawyer shoots back. Well, you guys are the ones that are arrested, but the lawyer gives uh, Hancock a, a box no. that has 500 year old booze in it. 500 year old, $500 booze in it. Yeah. For, with a flask. Yeah. Is it in a flask? Yeah. It's, I think a metal flask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just got the paperwork yesterday. And when is the trial supposed to start? Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. They're really <laughs> fucking these guys. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. Well, we, 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 we find out later on why they're fucking them. But, but there, what are the charges? I think you already said what the charges were that they're up on. Yeah. Killing a bunch of Boer prisoners and a German missionary. And, and what is the penalty for that? Death. And then we go to uh, a dinner dinner party. party. Yeah. And there's some guy reciting a sonnet or a psalm. See, I wasn't sure if it was a poem or a prayer. Yeah, I'm not sure. But there's an officer there. And these are British. These are British officers. And he asks if this could have happened to any other unit other than uh, the Australians. Well, no, they're just savages. And then Thomas walks in. The, the defense attorney and he's and introduced to Bolton and the rest of the officers and they're surrounded by Dutch women also. It, did you and, notice, so the local chippies are there. One of them is extremely mannish. Is she? Yeah. I mean, it could be, it's 1901, but yeah. still kind of mannish. But um, yeah. one of them says that Morant is a poet and then I, I don't remember who it is that asks, but they want to know what his name means and it also explains why the film is called Breaker Morant. Correct. As a matter- nope, not that one. <sighs> How Breaker gets his name. That's the name of the clip. Yeah, I, I was looking for it. I was looking for, I didn't realize yeah, that the one that has like a picture of a Breaker box is the one for that. Say, see, I would have used Breaker from G.I. Joe, the, the communications officer from the original line of 1982 action figures. I understand your Mr. Morant is something of a poet, Major. That's right. He wrote for a paper called The Bullet. He's a poet and didn't know it. In van der Besvelgen is in Dichter. Don't speak freaky deaky Dutch, okay, perv boy? Fashion of the Transvaal. After Byron of the Bushveld Carboneers. <laughs> Why is it he's referred to as Breaker Morant? A ladies' man, perhaps? A breaker of hearts? No, he was a horsebreaker. I understand the best in Australia. Everick Mipada. Mipada, yeah. Quite a Renaissance figure. It's odd. Is that your second um, Austin Powers clip so far? Yeah, there might be one more. Well, I have I have at least one image from that, which I'm assuming is probably what that is. But <laughs> All right. A, a local is brought in for entertainment. I think it's a German. Yeah. I, or Dutch. I don't know. He, sing, he sings in some foreign language. But the next day... The, the lawyer is asking questions about the case to Morant, and we are in the same room as we were in, in the very beginning of the film where they decided they were going to go to trial. And all of the, the defendants, so it's, it's Morant first, then Hancock, then George, they come in one at a time, they salute, and they I'm sure there's a name for it, but they do the heel stomp thing. Yeah, and where they sit, their tape, so the way that the courtroom is laid out is at the front of the room is the court and the court president. And then there's a tape there. 
on either side, there's a table facing each other. And Bolton, the prosecutor, sits at one table, and then the three accused and the de- the defending attorney sit, and they are facing each other. That would be really uncomfortable if that's how it was really done. You know what would be more uncomfortable is uh, give a description of where you testify from. Oh, just a chair in the middle of the room? <laughs> yeah. Just, there's nothing in front of you. It's just a chair in the middle of the room. Yeah. It's like a wooden wicker chair. Just yeah. waiting for somebody to like have a, like a ball of rope. That Yeah. But, but they, they ask about Tyler, the intelligence officer. Did he write a report? No, but he was a good bloke. And okay, that's right. You got in, they bring the accused in, they salute. Thomas immediately asks for an adjournment. I just got here, man. <laughs> you guys had six weeks. And the court says, uh, the witnesses traveled more than 60 miles. We start now. And yeah, the then lo- he says he says it's unconstitutional. Yep. And why Where's is that? Well, you have a clip. Never mind. This court martial is unconstitutional, sir. Um, uh, the the, uh, <clears throat> the three defendants uh, are Australian subjects. And as the country is now an independent commonwealth, they can only be tried by the Australian army. The defendants, Major, were serving in the Bushveld Carboneers, a unit under British command. This court-martial is convened by order of Horatio Herbert, Lord Kitchener of Khartoum at Askell, GCB, GCMG, RE, Commander-in-Chief of British and Colonial Forces in South Africa. And charges are as follows. Defendants Morant, Hancock and Witten are charged with the murder of a Boer prisoner by the name of Visser. They are also charged with the murders of six other Boer prisoners, names unknown. In addition, Lieutenants Morant and Hancock are charged with the murder of a German missionary, the Reverend H.C.V. Hess. How do you plead? So they they each plead individually, and I only pulled a clip for one of them because Morant stands up and he says, what? Not guilty. And then Hancock stands up and what does he say? Not guilty. No, he says this. <laughs> this whole thing fucking sucks. I mean, this is the biggest pile of shit. Little tango and cash. <laughs> but then George says not guilty as well. And as a fallout, real life fallout of from what happened in real life, after this real world case happened, no Australian citizens were ever allowed to be tried in a British British military tribun- bleh, tribunal Come on. again. Yeah, now I'm like we're, you. Words are hard, Matt. Yeah, yes. that I remember. I remember reading that. Yes. So, I mean, it kind of spoils how this is going to go, but. <laughs> <laughs> Bolton calls his first witness, the former British commander of the, uh, what the, f- bu- something Cavaliers, Bushfeld Cavaliers. Yeah, that's not it, but yeah. Um, yeah and- Donald Robinson, and they swear him in. And how do they swear them in? It's very, very different than how they do it here. It's with a Bible, isn't it? It is with a Bible. But what do you do here when you're getting sworn in? Pull out your cock and jerk it off? No, you stand up, you, you put your left hand on the Bible, you raise your right hand. It Over oh. there, you just hold the Bible in your right hand. <laughs> okay, well, but it's the other side of the world. You know, the, 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 
the toilet's flush the other way. Well, you'd think that you just put your right hand on the Bible and then hold your left hand up, but... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, he's on the stand. And they're asking him about discipline, especially when it comes to the Australian group. Mm-hmm. Carboneers is what you're looking for. Carboneers. All right. You were in the regular army for 20 years. Yes, sir. I was with the 10th Hussars before taking command of the Bushveld Carboneers in the Transvaal. And how was discipline in the Carboneers? Uh, impossible. Especially with the Australians. They didn't like picket duty or guard duty. And the only day we'd get them on parade was payday. Uh, could you give the court any other examples of their breaches of discipline? Uh, there were so many. They'd only salute the officers they liked. Reckon you didn't get too many salutes, mate. Order. Some of them had these illegal stills. Made this really strong drink out of corn and boot polish. You know you were their best customer. Order. They uh, stole cattle and sold them. Now, this cattle, did it belong to I civilians? I must object. Uh, the uh, two of the defendants were not even at Fort Edward. Sir, I'm trying to establish for the court the irregularities and unsoldierly behavior of the Bushveld Carboneers. They're getting fucked at every, uh-huh. every, every possible place. Mm-hmm. Two of the three yes. guys weren't even there for, for part of the things that they're talking about. And then what is one of the big offenses that Hancock did that they took umbrage with? Umbrage with, yes. Putting prisoners in open train cars in front of the, like in front of the engine. Right. And, and why did he do it? Well, because the boars were shooting at the trains and his reasoning was, well, if we put these prisoners here, they won't shoot at the train. And, um, well, the, the pro, oh, I got it. He, what, what, okay. You got it. Yeah. All the right. prosecution dismisses the witness and well, the, the defense lawyer has something to say about that. Uh, just hold your horses in. You wish to cross-examine the witness, Major Thompson? Yes, sir. Yes, I did. Um, Good. Now tell me, uh, tell us, when uh, when you joined the companies, uh, what were you told they'd be doing? Fighting the enemy. Yes, but uh, I mean, how? It was a new kind of call, wasn't it? That's right. We had to fight behind the lines against the board commanders. Commanders. That's a new word. It's a uh, it's a boar word, isn't it? What does it mean? The commandos had to live off the land, use hit-and-run tactics, surprise attacks, that sort of thing. The Boers did it, so it was the only way we could fight back. Right. And uh, it must have been it must have been very difficult to uh, maintain discipline under these sort of conditions. Well, it was with the Australians. But you try. Aye. Uh, like when you reprimanded Lieutenant Hancock for uh, putting the war prisoners in the carriages in front of the engines. I told him we didn't do that sort of thing. But uh, in the Carboneers, I mean, you were doing a lot of things that you'd never done before. Well, that's right, but there's a limit. I guess I didn't have it in there, but the one thing that... I don't even understand how they can the prosecution can think through this line of reasoning. 
they they bring something up as a damnable thing, putting the the boars at the front of the trains. Yeah, and he goes, "Well, why did he do it? Well, to stop the boars from blowing up the trains. Did it work? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, did did you stop doing it? Uh, no. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and they ask, uh, "What did you do with boar prisoners when you were in charge?" And it says, "Oh, oh well." We sent them here. How many? Well, 50, maybe 70. Yeah, his estimate is way off. <laughs> uh, yeah, but only 29 made it here. And then there's a big shouting match. And yeah, oh, Coughlin, um, sorry, um, Hancock just keeps shooting his mouth off nonstop. Mm-hmm. Every time he gets a chance to like throw something in, which that's not helping his case with the jury, even though they're kind of fucked anyway. But at one right. point, he says, he leans over to Morant and he says this. Proctologist dream. What? Wall of all assholes. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> but Thomas comes and sits down and Hancock shakes his hand. Because he basically, he incriminated the witness, but also discredited him. Well, the one of the things that he asked is, was there an, a policy of shooting prisoners? And th- that's objected to by the prosecution. And this is totally a show trial. Mm-hmm. And the, as you said, the last question, did you discontinue the practice of putting prisoners in front of the train? No. Why? Because it worked. <laughs> right. Right. But now the next guy that comes up to the stand is... Mr. Drummond. I think he's... Mr. Drummond? That's his name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> now, listen here, Arnold. <laughs> you don't want to go see the bicycle shop over <laughs> Oh, Willis. I can't. I can't. What was Charlotte Ray's character's name? Oh, Mrs. Garrett. Mrs. Garrett. You know, Mrs. Mr. Drummond was just pounded Mrs. Garrett. Arnold! <laughs> Girls! But, um, yeah, the guy's on the stand. With, with, but then she moved over to Facts the of other, the, the girl Facts of Life with Molly Ringwald and some other ones Helen until Hunt, the, Joe, yeah. in, in t- until Joe the lesbian came on with her bike. She had Fonzie bike. <laughs> did she have a Fonzie bike? Yes, she did. Did she get in an accident and get blind? <laughs> and and then Blair came and threw the pieces at her. She's like, "I hate you, Cunningham. <laughs> I hate you." <laughs> where the where the fuck are we going with this man? <laughs> but the guy that's on the stand, he's asked, "Did you go directly back to the farmhouse?" After, um, and this is after the incident where Hunt was shot. Right. And he says, no, Morant ordered us to return to the, to the farmhouse. Yeah. Didn't even get a chance to eat. Yeah. Got another flashback. They come upon the cart with their dead in it and it's Hunt is in the cart and well, what's left of him. And... He Morant says, let's rest and then continue to follow. Not sure where they went, but Morant knew where they went. Yeah. And no, it's not Morant that wants to wait. It's Hancock that wants to wait. Oh, is it Hancock? Morant says, We'll get them now. Oh. And they they should have easily won this battle. Do you know why? Why? They had the high ground. Oh, they do have the high ground, yes. Yeah, um, and they charge, open fire, taking out a few, but most of them get away. And they're great shots with pistols. And mm-hmm. and the shots of the horses coming down the hill, kind of in on a muddy hill, ugh, 
I'm I'm unsteady as it is on a horse, but just imagine it on in like unstable, you know, scenario like that. But uh, Hancock finds a guy who's hiding in a wagon, and what's he wearing? Uh, he's wearing a Hunt's uniform. That's right. And they question him, and they say, "Well, did you kill him?" Well, no. But Morant states that he did kill him and that he will be executed. But uh, the Dutch guy, the Boer guy, asks Mar- uh, Morant if he'll spare his life. And, well, Morant says no. Or Morant says this. How about no, you crazy Dutch bastard? Yeah, I got nailed that one. Nailed it. <laughs> did, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gold member is, is, is a trove for anti-Dutch jokes. I don't know why. I don't know why they take such umbrage with the with the Dutch in that movie. I mean, I guess Goldmember is is Dutch. Well, in in the first Austin Powers, there's Austin Powers says he doesn't trust two types of people. Something Carnies and the Dutch is who he says he does not trust. Oh, Carnies? Yeah. Yeah. Small hands, smell like cabbage. <laughs> but there's a local, their their guide or their translator, whatever you want to call him, the Terp, yeah. He wants to be in on the, the firing eight man squad. firing the eight man firing squad. Yes, and yeah. uh, one of the guys. I think it's is it is it George it, that it, tells? No, one guy tells George. It it's the guy that's on the stand wants to take him back, and yeah, and that's when the Terp says, "I want to be on the firing squad." And Morant says they tortured him after he was shot. Talking about Hunt, he's got he he's all knifed up and stuff. Well, I mean. You hear stories of people that were captured, and the the big go to is to cut off a guy's cock and balls and stuff it in his mouth. Mm-hmm. So you find him that way. Oof. No but, thanks. You know, one of the things that gets brought up a lot of times in this film is the idea that this is a guerrilla war. Mm-hmm. And they say often that the British are not used to fighting this type of war. I thought that's what was one of the big things in the Revolutionary War was, you know, the British were used to the whole standing columns, firing, uh, not shooting officers, all that kind of shit. And one of the reasons they had such a hard time is the... Because Mel Mel Gibson had his hatchets and fucked dudes up in The Patriot. Right. That's actually where I learned that from. Yes. He single-handedly won that war. Yeah. Wasn't George Washington. Come on. It's Mel Gibson, man. But Morant is pissed, and the firing squad executes uh, the guy that they found in the cart. And then the guy in the stand here really buddy fucks Morant. And there's a question about the rule. There's a rule about killing any boar. The, that question is raised. Wasn't there a standing rule to kill any boar that's captured? And he says, no. The rule was about killing any boar wearing khaki. Mm-hmm. I don't know, British apparently really give a shit about fashion. But they sure do. Yeah. And then the then there's a thing with the next witness and this is yours. I don't know exactly how to lead into this, but there's something about uh, the next what the next witness says kind of shoots holes in he, this. Well, well, he contradicts something. I'm not sure what it is he contradicts, but he contradicts something that we've been talking about. We have a soldier and were one of the first to join the Bushveld Carboneers. You served under Captain Robertson. That's right. Would you agree that discipline had improved once Mr. Robertson was removed and Captain Hunt and Lieutenant Morant took over? I suppose. Try yes 
or no, Sir Major? Yes. Morant and Hancock broke up illegal stills, did they not, and forced troopers to return stolen cattle? Yes. There were, in fact, dismissals from the Corps. Did this cause resentment against Morant and Hancock? Well, a bit. It's natural. And some of those dismissed are now witnesses for the prosecution. Yes. Were not you yourself reprimanded for holding stolen cattle? I explained that. I Thank came you. across I them no while I was questions. on patrol. I only impounded them, that's all. I have no more questions. You may stand down, Mr Drummond. You couldn't lie straight in bed, Drummond. I don't have to take that from you. You want to do something about it? Come outside and knock your bloody head off. Control yourself, Mr Hancock. You'll find yourself in serious trouble. More trouble than I'm in now. <laughs> yeah. But who who's the next witness? Uh, the, terper, the, the interpreter is on the stand, and he just fucking lies his ass off. He says nobody wanted to go on the firing squad. Yeah, they were they were forced to go on the firing squad. And then I don't know who asks, but somebody asks if this the guy that got killed, the guy that was in the the cart, this was Visser. And they ask, did who? Visser get a fair trial? And the prosecutor is a real motherfucker. I mean, he, and I guess that's his job because mm-hmm. he, he's flat out says, did you volunteer to shoot him? Nope. Did they all volunteer? Nope. Just followed orders. Yeah. And who yeah. is the next person to go on the stand? Well, at some point, Morant stands up and, and yells, that's a lie. And he, my notes are all over the place, man. He says something like, or is it Thomas that said, you knew Hunt told them not to bring prisoners. And I think the Terp says, I did not. And then they show some, I was confused here for a second until a little bit later in the movie. They're on the outside of this headquarters or jail. And there's an elevated tin hut kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yes. And my, my question is, is that solitary? Is that a latrine? I don't know. We find out a little bit later. But now Morant is on the stand. Lieutenant Morant, Captain Hunt was a particular friend of yours. Yes. I mean, I was engaged to his sister in England. So his death was very disturbing to you? Well, it was more the way he died. He was mutilated. You were present at the action where Captain Hunt was killed? No. Well, then how do you know he wasn't killed in a fair fight? Because I saw his body. Sometime later, you can't possibly know how Captain Hunt met his death. So you cannot produce any evidence to connect Visser with it. So then, why did you order him to be shot? It is customary during a war to kill as many of the enemy as possible. And was your court at the trial of Visser constituted in any way like this? What rule did you shoot him under? Like this? Oh, no, sir, no, it wasn't quite like this. No, 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 sir, it wasn't quite so handsome. And as for rules, we didn't carry military manuals around with us. We were out on the veldt fighting the boar the way he fought us. I'll tell you what rule we applied, sir. We applied rule 303. We caught them and we shot them under rule 303. Yeah, 303. The 303 Enfield rifle that they used. And during Powerful. that speech, that's it, that's- there's there's somebody, and I cannot place it. I think it's a Bond thing, but 
there's some other actor that really reminds me of him, and I can't think of who. Okay. But that night, a, a guy that is night, singing. Yeah, the three of them are together. Thomas comes in and says, did you get a reply from the council? No. And then Thomas asks the guard that's there, how's your eyesight? Very weak, sir. And then Thomas tosses them a flask. More booze, yeah. More booze. And he tells Morant that, hey, hey, man, uh, you're the best witness the prosecution has at this moment. Well, yeah, he, and then he says, basically tells him to shut the fuck up. And then yeah. for Hancock, and you're even worse. Yeah, this is a British court, not a pub. And we don't have that many witnesses. And why don't they have that many witnesses? Anybody that could potentially help their case has been sent to India. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. And then Morant spouts some poetry about death. I didn't bother with that. Yeah. The, and the, the I, young I, guy, I George, care. says that he doesn't want to die. And yeah. Morant says something actually very eloquent here about that. He says, every life ends with an execution. Yours will be quicker. And then yeah. George counters with, and much earlier. Yeah. But the next day, again, we see the band playing and there's a gunshot and who's dead on the street? The interpreter, the Terp. Yeah. And I do believe that he was killed by the boar for helping the British and, and the Australians. And so the band's playing. And one of the things that's interesting and I thought really well done about this film is when the band is playing, the band is not great. They're not terrible, no. but they're not great. It's a believable band, if, mm -hmm. if you know what I'm talking about. And it's like a, it's like a middle school band. Well, it's not quite that bad, but... The, the shot goes off, everybody stops, the band stops, and then, oh, it's this guy. And then the band starts playing again. Right, right. So now on the stand, it's Taylor, the intelligence officer, and he gives his opinion of Morant, says he's a good fellow, but... Uh, Little hot-headed. He was a, yeah, impulsive, but he was obeyed. And asks of the orders, somebody asks him of the orders for from Hunt to shoot prisoners, and, and he says, well, there was an understanding. So now another flashback. Morant is coming back from the raid with the prisoners, and... Well, Hunt, Hunt is talking about the people. He's talking to um, Hunt. Hunt is talking to Morant about the people oh, that Morant killed in his sleep. And they're up in, their, they're up in the, this, like, bluff overlooking the valley... Right, and, have, and I think this is this is a different flashback because and, Hunt is Hunt is alive in this flashback. Right, it's further back. It's it. This goes into the whole thing about the orders, and then Hunt and Morant have this discussion about new orders. Mm -hmm. Simon, I thought the proclamation only applied to Boers caught wearing British khaki. New orders from Kitchener. Colonel Hamilton's confirmed it to me himself. No prisoners. The gentleman's war is over. Here, break your teeth on this. And while that's going on, obviously there's Australians are executing some boars. Morant doesn't even flinch. And the thing that's great is, and they'll come up in just a little bit of how there, there's a line somewhere where apparently anything above this line doesn't matter and everything below this line does as far as orders. 
mm-hmm. because this person's following an order from this person following an order from this person. And the person above that gave the order doesn't matter. The person below that gave the order doesn't matter. It's just this little tier in the middle of people that actually are, I guess, liable for following orders. Yeah. But in that scene, we see Taylor, the intelligence officer who's on the stand right now, going from prisoner to prisoner that's still alive and shooting them in the head with his pistol. Yes. And they ask, did he execute any more, anyone before Hunt's death? No. But now he's on trial for obeying those orders. Well, yes. Is this the discussion of new orders in court? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Mr. Moran executed any more prisoners prior to the death of Captain Hunt? No, he had not. He had then disobeyed orders? Strictly speaking, yes. And he is now on trial for later obeying those same orders? I object, sir. The manual of military law states, persons captured under arms against British forces in the field shall be placed within the jurisdiction of the nearest provost, marshal, or garrison command. They were not the orders under which we operated. Indeed. You saw a copy of Lord Kitchener's new orders? No. Sanctioning executions? No. But they were common knowledge. I told you they were verbal orders from Pretoria. And no one can substantiate them. Captain Hunt relayed them. Captain Hunt is dead. Order. This evidence is completely irrelevant. Irrelevant? Irrelevant when I have established that it was common practice among the Bushveld Carboneers to shoot prisoners? Why would a, an officer of Captain Hunt's spotless reputation invent an order, sir? We all admire your zeal in defending your fellow Australians, Major Thomas, but intemperate speech and wild accusations do not further your cause. It is amazing how, when, when you're watching a film, and it does something well enough that it, it gives you an emotional response to something that has nothing to do with you. Like it makes you, it makes you angry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it, I felt that same way. And you know, they, they talk about if there is any similar incidents to the Visser incident, one just like it. And the, the lawyer's trying to establish precedent. That's what he's trying to do. And then in the cross, um, the defense lawyer says, aren't you just trying to save yourself? <laughs> by saying the order to execute prisoners existed because yeah, he, said, he is potentially going to be on trial after these guys. Yeah. For executing six boars also. And his answer to that is it would appear that way. And then that but, night lights out and there's, this is an interesting thing. So cheers for the King. This is probably at this point, it's early 1902. Because they were arrested in November of 1901, they were executed. I think in February. Was it February? Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. But But it it coincides right around the time of royal transition, and so it it would have been originally cheers for the queen, but there's now a new king in in office or on the throne. But they had those kinds of surgeries back then. They weren't always successful. But um, the young guy, George, is dreaming, and his full name is George Witten. Mm-hmm. And then... All right. He's dreaming of uh, his father toasting him. And, and then Hancock is up. having his yeah. own flashback. Yeah. Tells why... His flashback is him telling his wife, um, I'm not much of a letter writer, so don't expect a whole lot from me. Uh, if you haven't heard from me for a while, it's probably bad news. <laughs> 
kind of cold. So enjoy, enjoy yourself with uh, my kids. Yeah. Morant, a uh, flashback of him is singing to friends in front of his family. Hunt is there. Uh, his Hunt's sister is there, who he's engaged to. She's a snack. Uh, but then, yes, yeah, she is. But the next day, well, the boar are attacking the base that they are at. And there's a chick making out with a guard in this tin hut that I thought was either solitary or a latrine. No, it's a guard hut. It's a trim Because basically all this, yeah, it's a trim hut. All the soldiers are just sleeping in tents outside. Those were weird looking tents too. Were they? Yeah. I mean... Just go back and look at them. They, they, they were weird. They, they were more like teepees, yeah. but they went up a little bit and then up into like oh, a, a oh, triangle oh. type thing. But yeah, yeah. somebody right. in the but guard she, but shack she, is getting some early morning trim from a local and the woman sneaks yeah, out. But she, yes. And then a guy on horseback comes up and, well, what does he throw inside of the hut? Yeah. I'm so glad you had that ready to go. <laughs> It's not the last time. Uh, but George wants to know if they're being broken out. He thinks that maybe this is a jailbreak. It's like, no, it's a boar yeah. attack. Yeah. This is no rescue. Uh, and the boar are getting the best of these guys because as they're running by on horseback, you know, the British all have their their rifles kind of made up into little teepees so they're ready to grab. And the boar are going by and just knocking those down. It's like, hey, man, <laughs> you have no idea how difficult it was to balance these four rifles just like that. But uh, the boar, well, what are they throwing over the wall? <laughs> yeah. And they blow up the main door. And, and they release our, the three prisoners and they start fighting along yeah, with the well, other but, soldiers. And then what is uh, Morant behind? Well, he's behind a belt-fed machine gun. And yeah, Hancock is, is feeding him the ammo on like the chain. Mm-hmm. A belt. Belt, okay. The chain. Bring me a chain of ammo. Yeah. Or my, Matt, you have no Hey, I sound so stupid, I, Matt. I, I, I go to my neighbors and I order, I borrow a cup of, cup of bullets. Yeah. Ow. <laughs> but the, the boar. That, oh, that's, is that from, that's from Johnny Dangerously. Yes. Because it, okay. he, yeah, he's the neighbors, their neighbors with the Capones. And it's like, okay, maybe yes. we don't have more bullets, Mrs. Capone. Um, <laughs> but the boar stole a bunch of the horses as well. And, mm-hmm. Is it, I think it's, uh, Morant says, well, that broke the monotony, didn't it? I don't know if they stole horses. I think all the soldiers that they shot are, are off the horses. Oh, so they're just taking their own horses back. They're just taking their own horses back. And there's a lot more empty horses than there are occupied horses. Well, if it wasn't for the three prisoners, it would have been a, a complete slaughter because the three prisoners probably killed 15 people and the rest of the soldiers maybe killed like two or three. Right. And our, our, is our entire court staff, like the president of the court there as well? I would have to assume that they're all staying there. Yeah, but they're hiding. So, they're not. Yes, they are. Taking up arms. Right. But uh, yeah, now it's basically, it's bullshit that they are not getting exonerated for the action that they just performed. Irrelevant. The defendants were called upon to do their duty. No more. So the Duke of Wellington stated... The performance of a duty of honor and trust after knowledge of military offense ought to convey a pardon. What on earth has a statement by the Duke of Wellington to do with military law? I will tolerate no further mention of this morning's events in this court. But, sir, the Duke of Wellington influenced nearly all our military law. Why bother, Major? Why bother? Order! 
We will proceed with the second charge concerning the six Boer prisoners killed at Fort Edward on the 23rd of August, 1901. Another flashback. Another flashback. Morant's telling some story about hunting, but a guy rides in and saying, says that the Boers are coming in with white flags. Wait, and so just one, one second. Um, as Morant is telling the story, Hancock has heard this before, this story before, and one of the guys that is not one of these three, but one of the other guys, one of the other officers, whatever, that's in there listening to this conversation, leans over to one of the other people and says that Morant should be part of the other side. Do you know why he said that? No. Because he's boring. (gasps) That's not my joke. Uh, That's what they meant. uh, Okay. All right. Yeah, but they they bring these guys in in with white flags. Yeah, and they put them in a pen, and Morant says that they are part of the group that killed Hunt. And Taylor says, execute them. No, he says, wipe them out, all of them. Yes. Uh, and then tells George to get a squad together. He goes to Hancock and tells him it's wrong. And Hancock says, I just follow orders. And there, there's something about dum-dums here. Can you explain yes. that? No. Okay. I, I can't. It's just, I, it just shows him the dum-dum bullets that he got from the boars. Something about the explosion. You know what? I, th- I think, yes, they tumble or they... They explode or something, yes. And then Hancock says, don't tell me what's right or wrong. Because, yeah, they are not following the rules of war. And then the Kraut missionary rides in, and Morant talks to him, and he's like, move along, move along. These aren't the droids you're you're looking looking for. Yeah, But where where does he say that he's heading to? Uh, It's guerrilla territory. And, okay. and he says, don't worry, they won't do anything to a missionary. But yeah. the young guy, George, is questioning Morant. And he says, you're only doing this because a hunt won't bring him back. And Morant says, well, it's the next best thing. Mm-hmm. And then Morant sees the missionary talking to some of the prisoners. And he runs out and says, I told you not to talk to them. Oh, they wanted me to pray for them. Bullshit. <laughs> but the firing squad is lining up and... George is not happy, and one of the guys from the firing squad rushes George. Yes, one of the prisoners that they're going to execute. Yeah, and he and George shoots them, him, and then they shoot the rest. We don't see the execution. We just hear the gunshots. But we go back to the trial, and I'm thinking, that is George's only participation in the execution that they're on trial for. What he did was 100% self-defense. Mm-hmm. So even taking aside the fact that this whole thing is bullshit and a show trial, his his charges are even worse because there's absolutely no merit to him at, at all. Even outside of the whole horrors of war, war is different type thing. This is just a guy who was attacking him and he was defending himself. Right. Yeah. But now Thomas explains what he had to do. I propose to settle, once and for all, sir, the matter of whether or not orders were issued to shoot prisoners. Do you, Major Thomas? Major Bolton has proved there were no standing orders, and Captain Hunt is dead.
request that Lord Kitchener attend this court martial. Kitchener? Lord Kitchener? He can tell us himself whether or not such orders were issued. You are impertinent, Major Thomas. Are you suggesting that the most senior soldier in the British Army, a man venerated throughout the world, would be capable of issuing an order of such barbarity? The man who broke up the buffet. <laughs> Is this the man? But I do know that orders that one would consider barbarous have already been issued in this war. Before I was asked to defend these men, I spent some months burning Boer farmhouses, destroying their crops, herding their women and children into stinking refugee camps. There are only two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. What? Where thousands of them have died already from disease. Now these orders were issued, sir. And soldiers like myself and these men here have had to carry them out, however damned reluctantly. There is no precedent for this request. There's no obligation whatever for Lord Kitchener to attend this courtroom. Oh. The accused is allowed full liberty to cross-examine any witness against him and to call any witnesses or make any statement in his defense. But uh, after court yeah, that, that was, day... Yeah, that was, that, that's, that's Michael Caine from Goldmember. Okay. Well, Austin Powers' Faja. What? His Faja. What? After, after court that day, um, <laughs> the, the prosecutor asked to join the defense lawyer at a table. On a porch. Yes. And he says, this case is attracting a lot of interest. And um, tells him, tells Bolton tells Thomas that his own government wants the conviction just because the Commonwealth or uh, Australia just became a Commonwealth. And the Australian prime minister wants to dissipate bad behavior. And, and Thomas asks, why not arrest the firing squad? And the prosecutor's response to that is very, very telling and actually very, very problematic. So why not arrest the firing squad? Well, they were just following orders. And Thomas yeah. goes, that's right. Just like Morant was, you cocksucker. <laughs> and he says, it, it, hey, if, if Kitchener d- denies it in court, your case falls apart. Drop your request. Uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> but yeah. the, the powers so, that be. But now I, I believe Kitchener and somebody else, another British officer, are having a discussion. Yes. It seems quite simple to me. I don't know how it's come to this. You said our fellow there, that damned Irishman there. Uh, Captain Taylor, sir. Anglo-Irish. Taylor, yes, Taylor. Assured you, the case against the Australians was overwhelming. Now he seems to spend most of his time giving evidence on their behalf. Certain proprieties have to be observed, sir. And Taylor fought with the Moran. It creates a bond. I don't think he's the problem. Major Thomas is putting up an unexpectedly good defense. Two of the court members are showing some sympathy for the Australians. I dare say it's too late to transfer them to India. 
I did mention at one time, sir, the complexities of charging soldiers with murder while they're actually in the field. Good God, Johnny, I'm not trying to prove some academic point. I'm trying to put an end to this useless war. All leaders must see in this court-martial a demonstration of our impartial justice. If these three Australians have to be sacrificed to help bring about a peace conference, it's a small price to pay. I quite agree, sir. Though I doubt the Australians shared our enthusiasm. And then so it comes out. Sorry, yeah, it's yeah. They're just cannon fodder. And basically, yeah, they're, they're, they're sacrificing they're, them for, you know, the finger quotes, the greater good, which may be true, but at what cost to those individuals? Right. But yeah. the next day. So that guy is on the stand. Um, it's Hamilton. Kitchener. Is it Hamilton? Yeah. H- Kitchener never shows up at the trial. This oh. is Hamilton. All right. Because originally yeah. my notes, it says Kitchener's at the trial. And it's like, oh, no, it's, it's Hamilton. <laughs> oh, all right. But uh, Thomas is questioning him about his conversation about prisoners with Hunt. And he says, well, I, I have no recollection of that. And Moran stands up and yells, you're a liar. You are under oath. And the president, the court president says, well, okay, well, that closes things. <laughs> and Thomas kind of, he gets pissed. He's like, this has no bearing. This should be inadmissible. And then uh, Thomas makes, he makes, what does he make? A damning point. A, a very damning point. A conversation is stated to have taken place between Captain Hunt and Colonel Hamilton. Which conversation was relayed by Captain Hunt to Lieutenant Moret? There's a dog. Now, it really doesn't matter from whom Captain Hunt had his instructions. The fact is clear from the evidence that Captain Hunt did tell his subordinates, not once, but several times, that no prisoners were to be taken. This fact is admitted by witnesses for the prosecution. Captain Hunt's instructions were entitled to be obeyed, which goes to remove any suggestion of malicious intention on the part of the defendants. This entire court-martial, sir, should be dismissed. And that's what I was talking about before, where they've established that Hunt said to do this. That's Mm -hmm. kind of accepted. When asking the prosecutor why the firing squad is not on trial, they said because they were following orders. But Morant and the rest of the guys, Hancock and George, were also following orders. So they they just fall in that magic middle ground where it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. But the next day, there's some soldiers, they're on the quad listening to a priest say a prayer. And they have a little bit of a, the three have a little bit of a conversation about religion. Um, George comes and he always hated Sundays. Yeah. And Morant had to listen to his dad do readings. And Hancock, as he's trimming his dick broom, says, eh, it was a good day to chase tail. There's nobody around. Yeah, that's, in my notes, says Coughlin is trimming his uh, his dick broom. He used to chase trim on Sundays. Yes. But there's there's one part of the case left, one prosecutional prosecute one part of the prosecution's case is left, which is the German thing. Ooh, the German. And the the yeah. lawyer, their lawyer, the defense attorney, does not believe Hancock's story at all. <laughs> no. Yeah. Are you sticking with your story? Yeah. Why? What's wrong with it? <laughs> and Morant asks if they have to testify and 
their lawyer says, no, but that's an admission of guilt. I don't know if that is a different thing, just like how they get sworn in is different. Mm-hmm. But uh, some guard is, is talking to the lawyer, and then we get to the final charge of, of killing the missionary. And Well, hold on a second. Thomas said he left in a cart, and a few hours later, you left with a rifle, and he ended up dead. And you trot out a tale about shooting game. Well, maybe not shooting game, but chasing game. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But um, Bolton is in the chair. and Hold on. Still hold on. Okay. Before Thomas gets into the courtroom, a soldier stops him and says, uh, I overheard another soldier talking at a bar. Yeah, that, that's, what I, that's where my some guard is talking to the lawyer. And this actually okay. becomes important with what Bolton says on the stand. Right. But he was on sentry duty, and he's asked if he saw the deceased, the missionary that day, and then... Um, Bolton actually was trying to do small talk with the missionaries as he's walking by, and the priest totally blew him off. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you see anything else? What else did he see? Well, he saw Hancock ride up to Morant, and this is all happening in a flashback. And, and then he's a, he's a ways away, though. I mean, he is not. He is probably yes. fifty yards. Yeah, you can't hear what he's saying. But then Hancock takes off on his horse, and Bolton leads him to say. If he looked agitated. Objection, leading. Yes, and then tells the court that they weren't like real soldiers. The Australians were not. Uh, And then Thomas questions him. Well, why did you leave the bush guard? I requested a transfer. No, you were made to transfer by Hancock for stealing boar property. Yeah, we can bring in your rap sheet if you really want. (laughs) Yes, and then then he says, oh, by the way, we also heard that you would walk barefoot from someplace to someplace else to be on the firing squad. Oh, that's just the beer talking. That's actually what your clip has. Oh, see this, that pisses me off when I do that. When I write down all the notes <laughs> and stuff, and then I include it in the clip. God damn it. I gotta stop doing it. And that. have you not been stating in the hotels of Petersburg that you would walk barefoot from Cape Town to Petersburg to be on a firing party to shoot Lieutenant Hancock? Uh, I, I, I might have said over a pint, so you know, it would only be the beer talking, sir, not me, sir. You testified previously that you told the Reverend Hess not to speak with Boer prisoners. Why was that? He was German. It was for security reasons. But we are not at war with Germany. Every soldier is aware of the sympathy that Germany shows towards the Boers. Were you on good terms with the Reverend Hess? It's cordial. When he left Fort Edward, you knew that he was going to report back here to the authorities in Petersburg. I had no way of knowing what he was going to do. But it would have been in your interest, would it not, to prevent him? Well, I, I hardly know about that. All I do know is that someone prevented him. And I'm still here on trial. I suggest that you instructed Lieutenant Hancock to follow the Reverend Hess and to shoot him. I had sent a message to Colonel Hall in Petersburg informing him of my intentions towards the Boer prisoners. I have nothing to hide. I find that, uh, that statement hard to believe. Then I suggest, sir, that you recall Colonel Hall from India. He will confirm it. I don't mind waiting. Yes. He's got nothing but time. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But Hancock gets called to the stand. Thomas tries to call for an adjournment. And 
Well, Bolton has no objections. So that night, Thomas is asking Hancock the truth. Yeah. If he killed Hess. I want to know. And and Hancock says, well, we have no shot anyways. And the lawyer says, I think you do. But Hancock says his, his problem is he doesn't want the witnesses in court. And he yeah. says he has to make him two promises. Doesn't mm-hmm. say what those promises are. Nope. But the next day... Yeah. He is on the stand. stand. Uh-huh. And as he's being questioned, where did you go after the missionary left? Uh, well, I was visiting. <laughs> well, they'll play the clip. First one. Where did you go when you left Fort Edward approximately half an hour after the Reverend Hess? I went visiting. Visiting? 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 What are you, a fucking tyrant? <laughs> Who could you possibly have visited? Well, I went to the farms owned by the uh, Shields and the Vandenbergs. Why? Who was at these farms? Well, nobody. Well, only the ladies, sir. And they received you into their homes alone? Well, I was quite well known to them. Uh, You mean to tell me you were on intimate terms with two Boer ladies? Yeah, well, you could put it that way. Sir? Where were the husbands? Uh, Well, one's a prisoner of war and the other's with the Boer commanders. I was just checking they were all right. Kudos. I figured, Kudos I figured you'd like that. <laughs> but then during this, I, I don't know if it's during this, but after this clip, there's a flashback of Hancock riding to get some trim, and they get it on on her bed, and then he hooks up with another one, like right after that. Well, so he, he rides up, and this is the first time in my notes I actually had his name is Hancock. Okay. I thought was quite on the nose. Um, but... He, he shows up at this woman's place. She takes him right inside, right into the bedroom, right to the bed. Mm-hmm. And he was with her all afternoon. Then he goes to see another one. He's, he's tired. He says he's been riding all day. And she does the same thing. She immediately takes him in, throws him in on the bed. But here's like your second talk of our clip of him talking about getting trim, I think. Right. Lieutenant Hancock, what does Mrs. Vandenberg mean by entertain? Did you sing to her? Sir, you can appreciate uh, that these ladies' reputations are in a vulnerable position. And as these letters confirm Lieutenant Hancock's whereabouts on the day in question, could they not forego the embarrassment of actually appearing in court? Major Wilton? I have no objection, sir. I must say, I find this sort of behavior from a soldier in the British Army morally disgraceful. These were married women. Well, they say a slice off a cut loaf never missed. <laughs> Lieutenant Hancock's personal morality is not on trial, sir. Regrettably. It's a great line. Uh-huh. Slice off a, what, what was it? A slice off of a loaf is never missed? Off of a used loaf or something like that. I, I, yeah. I don't know. But um, so they are, they're done for the day. Right. And yeah. George is asking, so, so who killed the missionary? Yeah. Hancock goes, me. <laughs> what? What about the ladies? Oh, that was later on. And George asks, well, does Morant or does Thomas know? No. And he isn't going to. And then they talk about... Killing uh, the missionary. Killing the missionary. Does Major Thomas know? No. And he's not going to. But we've always told the truth. 
Major Thomas has been pleading justifying circumstances and now we're just lying. We're lying! What about them? It's no bloody secret our graves are dug the day they arrested us at Fort Edward. Yeah, but killing a missionary, Peter. It's a new kind of war, George. It's a new war for a new century. I suppose this is the first time the enemy hasn't been in uniform. They're farmers. They're people from small towns. They shoot at us from houses and from paddocks. Some of them are women, some of them are children, and some of them are missionaries, George. You, you just have to lead them a little less. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we get a flashback, and Morant didn't tell Hancock to do it, but he kind of did. Yeah. And Hancock yeah. is riding after the vicar, and once again, he has the high ground. And he shoots him from a long ways away. I mean, that's a sniper shot. Yeah, at a moving target. And yes, Morant suspects that he led Hunt into the trap. Um, and anything can happen on the way to. Oh, the, the the priest, the missionary is going to light storm. I don't know what that is. I don't. It's it's James Cameron's effects house. Some yeah, and anything can happen on the way to light storm. And yeah, but the, the uh, next the next day, for some reason, we're at a graduation ceremony. And are we? Yeah, and you'll understand why in about ten seconds. But this clip is the longest clip we've ever had. Five minutes and 46 seconds. So it's, if you want to fast forward the five minutes and 46 seconds, audience, you're not going to hurt my feelings, but it's a really, really good clip. And it really tells you kind of like what's going on, but I'm going to go to the bathroom during this time. So, okay. This is the closing arguments, but you'll understand the graduation thing. All right. See, pomp and circumstance. Oh. The main fact of this case that Boer prisoners were executed has never been denied by the defense. However, I feel that there is no evidence at all for bringing charges against Lieutenant Whitten, a junior officer who had no reason to question the instructions of his superiors. And his only crime was that he shot a boar in self-defense. And further, no one denies the admirable fighting qualities of the Boers, nor, in general, their sense of honor. However, those Boers fighting in the northern Transvaal, in commando groups, are outlaws, renegades, often without any recognized form of control, addicted to the wrecking of trains, the looting of farms. Lord Kitchener himself recognized the unorthodox nature of this warfare when he formed a special squad to deal with it, the Bushveld Carboneers. Now, when the rules and customs of war are departed from by one side, one must expect the same sort of behavior from the other. Accordingly, officers of the Carboneers should be, and up until now have been, given the widest possible discretion in their treatment of the enemy. 
Now, I don't ask for proclamations condoning distasteful methods of war. But I do say that we must take for granted that it does happen. Let's not give our officers hazy, vague instructions about what they may and may not do. Let's not reprimand them, on the one hand, for hampering the column with prisoners, and at another time, and another place, haul them up as murderers for obeying orders. Lieutenant Morant shot no prisoners before the death of Captain Hunt. He then changed a good deal and adopted the sternest possible measures against the enemy. Yet there is no evidence to suggest that Lieutenant Morant has an intrinsically barbarous nature. is that war changes men's natures. The barbarities of war are seldom committed by abnormal men. The tragedy of war is that these horrors are committed by normal men in abnormal situations. Situations in which the ebb and flow of everyday life have departed and have been replaced by a constant round of fear and anger, blood and death. Soldiers at war are not to be judged by civilian rules. As the prosecution is attempting to do, even though they commit acts which calmly viewed afterwards could only be seen as unchristian and brutal. And if in every war, particularly guerrilla war, all the men who committed reprisals were to be charged and tried as murderers, court-martials like this one would be in permanent session. Would they not? I say that we cannot hope to judge such matters unless we ourselves have been submitted to the same pressures, the same provocations as these men whose actions are on trial. I think that's the first time I've actually had sex during the middle of a podcast. <laughs> but there's a shot of the courtroom from above as he sits down, and then everybody in the fa- in the courtroom fades away. 
Yeah, it, it it's kind of cool. And his his whole thing is, is his closing argument is brilliant, but mm-hmm. it, it's a variation on a couple things. It, it's judge not lest you be judged. It's walking another a mile in another man's shoes. It's talking about the horrors of war and what it makes normal people do. They're all very compelling things that he he hits on in that mm-hmm. in that close. Yes. But that night, uh, the prisoners are all drinking, mm-hmm. and one of them says something about best fighters in a bad cause. And George questions what they mean by bad cause. It's like, why are we even fucking here? Yeah, yeah, you're here because the empire demanded you be here. And <clears throat> Brant makes a toast to the Bush Guard. There's some uh, more drunk talk. Morant recites some fine poetry. It must be his own poetry. And then Hancock knows some poems. And in fact, it's it's a limerick. And he, he tells this limerick. There once was a man from Nantucket whose dick was so long he could suck it. He said with a grin... As he wiped off his chin, if my ear were a cunt, I could fuck it. Whose voice is that? I don't know. Because I actually had the real poem, but that's fine. I, I, oh, <laughs> you had the real poem? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. But they were officially acquitted on one of the charges. And the lawyer of the, comes yeah, in with the, champagne. Yeah, the, they are acquitted of the missionary charges. But... One of them says it might still. You you do- you've you've been trying to find a missionary sex joke this entire movie, haven't you? I, I actually I never refer to him as a missionary. I refer to him as the vicar. So no. Oh, okay. If, if I had, I, I probably would have that. Every time I've heard the word missionary, I'm like, oh, come up with a joke. Come up with a joke. Nope, can't come up with one. But they so. might still do a couple years for what? Doggy style. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them says they toast to freedom, Australia. And women, yes, yeah. One live, them, live every day, live yeah. every day as it's your last. One day you'll be right. And then one guy pulls Morant away and says, "I hey, let's not not start sucking each other's cocks too early here. <laughs> I wouldn't be too right. sure about the verdict." And he right. says, uh, "More or less, you guys are fucked." Oh, oh, yeah. it's it's the intelligence officer. That's yes. who it is that's yeah. talking. Yeah. They're not after me. They're not going to go after an intelligence officer. They want a simple man like Hancock and uh, because he's a black sheep, he won't be missed. And he says, uh, hey, we can have some horses standing by for you. You can go out, see the world. Yeah. What does Morant say to that? Well, where would I go? Well, go to the Portuguese territory. Take your boat and see the world. He goes, I've seen it. And the next day... George is being taken out of his cell and he goes into the courtroom by himself Mm -hmm. and he's been found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. However, what, what, what? what? (laughs) Yeah. Lord Kishner has commuted your sentence to penal servitude for life. And he's like, you could have fucking opened with that. Don't bury the lead. Yeah. Yeah. But he got fucked because he did basically nothing. And then right. Morant goes in next. And there's this long shot that has Witten just staring at nothing for 20, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then Morant is also found guilty and sentenced to death. Dot, yeah. dot, dot. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing after that. Yeah. He goes, sir, and then salutes. 
and, and walk, walks walks past George. I'll be shot tomorrow morning. And he sits in the cell. Uh, and then and we don't hear we don't hear Hancock's sentence. No, but, but Hancock gets pulled out next. And the same shot, just like they had with Witten with George, they have with Morant. And mm-hmm. do not hear what um, Hancock's sentence even is, but we know it because Witten asks, and says, same as Morant. And then we are back at the fancy house where we saw Kitch- Kitchener before. Yes. And Thomas is there, and he's mm-hmm. there to plea for mercy. Right. I wish to see Lord Kitchener. I'm afraid that's not possible. Do you have an appointment, sir? No, I don't have an appointment. Maybe come to see him straight away. Death warrants have been signed. There's nothing you can do. Let me see Lord Kitchener, sir. The trial was a bloody sham. Two members of the court recommended mercy for Hancock and Morant, as well as Whitney. In which case, the casting vote belonged to the president, Lieutenant Colonel Denny. Kitchen has been called away for a few days, out on the veldt somewhere, quite uncontactable. I want to stay of execution so that I can send a telegram to the king and to the Australian prime minister. The sentence has been approved by Whitehall and the Australian government has expressed its support of our decision. Forget it, Major. It's a sideshow of the war. I have some good news. There's hope of a peace conference in a couple of months. Soon we can all go home. Then we go back to the prison and Well, hold on. It's it's he's got tears in his eyes as this is going on. Yeah, I mean, he it's it's kind of how naive was he? I mean, even though he did an incredible job with mm-hmm. his impossible task, this was a show trial. Yeah, the, the deck was still stacked against him. He was never going to win. The house always wins. Yeah. But back at the prison, there's this great shot where it shows the prisoners on kind of the right side, and then there's this wall. And yeah, then it's in the, the middle left, of the screen. Yeah. On the left side of the wall, there's people, and what are they building? Oh, they're building pine boxes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the only thing that would worse is, is if they would made them build them themselves. Right. Hancock. Well, it's, I mean, think of the guys that are like, okay, dig that hole because that's your grave. Oh, I mean, if you're doing that, you've got a shovel. Wouldn't you want to go out like taking a swing with that shovel? I never understood that. That. Oh, if you're going you to die anyway, I, I, I think maybe it's just you think something might happen. Somebody might show up. It, it gives you an opportunity. But, oh, yeah, they are more or less giving you a weapon. And if, if you're going to die in 20 minutes... I'd rather die after not being, you know, just stupid ass tired from yes. digging a hole. Sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's Hancock says, well, they could have the decency to measure us first. And that does come Morant, to play, actually. Morant, Morant, yes. Morant says, I don't suppose they've had many complaints. But uh, Hancock is writing a letter to his wife. I'm going to find out the grand secret. I will face my God with the firm belief I obeyed my orders and served my king as I thought best. If I overstep my duty, I can only ask my people and country for forgiveness. 
Take care of my little son at all costs. No matter what I may have done, you and he were the source of my greatest joy. And he kind of seals the letter up and he writes on it. And what does he write on it? Australia forever. Amen. And forever is two words. And I'm thinking, hey, man, it's not the fucking World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) But Morant is writing his last words as well. The night's a trifle chilly and the stars are very bright. A heavy dew is falling, but the tent is rigged all right. You may rest your bones till morning, then if you chance to wake, give me a call about the time that daylight starts to break. And this and what he says at the very end are actually from the real Morant's writings. Oh, how about that? But the next day, they're taking George away, and, uh, well, he's not very happy. Harry! Peter! Why in hell, mate? Goodbye, George. Why did they do it to us, Harry? Why? They have to apologize for that damn war, George. They're trying to end it now, so they need scapegoats. Harry! George! Scapegoats of the bloody empire! What, what movie is it that somebody's yelling Harry like that? Oh, I know what it is. Um, is from Armageddon. Is Bruce Willis's name Harry? Yeah, when Ben Affleck is, is oh. Ben A- Affleck Ben Affleck is screaming Harry. Yes, yeah. This was my job. I was supposed to do this. Yes, when he's in the glass tube. Like yes, the, the 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 glass dildo that it goes up in the ship. And he gives him the the patch to give to uh-huh. um Billy, Billy Bob, Bob Thornton, Thornton so he can kill somebody yeah. else. <laughs> So who died? Who who died in that movie? Bruce Willis. Bill, well, no, his brain. <laughs> uh, well, no, who's the big dude? The big black guy that was in the Green Mile. Oh yeah, he did die. He did. Um, yeah, Michael I can't remember. Clark Duncan, Michael Duncan Clark, Michael. Yeah, Clark, Clark, one of those. Michael Duncan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Thomas comes in and is talking to Morant, and he says, "Cheer up. Looks like you're going." Morant sells the to- says to Thomas. Cheer up. Looks like you're going to a funeral. And then says, I've had a good run. Gives him his letters and asks him to publish his, his poetry. Book. And, he, and yes. he thanks him. And as he and Hancock are walking out, they're asked if they want a priest. Yes. You want the padre? No, thank you. I'm a pagan. And you? What's a pagan? Well, it's somebody who doesn't believe there's a divine being dispensing justice to mankind. I'm a pagan too. There is an epitaph I'd like. Matthew 10, 36. All right, gentlemen. Well, Peter, this is what comes of empire building. Matthew 10, 36. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And they're walking out in a field. Uh-huh. And there's two chairs. Just like just like the courtroom. Exactly. And the two of them start to hold hands as they're approaching their chairs. And this was a an ad lib. Yes, it was. And but then they then they, they found out that they actually did that in real life. Right. 
and, and they sit down and what are they offered? Blindfolds. And they, they, they turn them down. Yeah. And this, the sun is going down and we get the, the final poem as the execution is being carried out. It really ain't the place nor time to reel off rhyming diction. But yet we'll write a final rhyme while waiting crucifixion. For we bequeath a parting tip of sound advice for such men who come across in transport ships to polish off the Dutchmen. If you encounter any boars, you really must not loot them. And if you wish to leave these shores for pity's sake, don't shoot them. Let's toss a bumper down our throat before we pass to heaven and toast a trim-set petticoat we leave behind in Devon. Coglin's Law. Bury the dead, they stink up the joint. As for the rest of Coglin's Law's, ignore them. The guy was always full of shit. <laughs> but I guess you knew that already. Shoot straight, you bastards! Don't make a mess of it! Hancock had to get in his little bit there, too. You had to go ahead, and I was getting all choked up there. You got Matt's got to fuck around. (laughs) But they are blown off their chairs. Well, yeah. I mean, they they each take four 303 rounds to the chest. And yeah. guy goes to check to see if they are dead, then summons the coffin carriage as a song plays. Mm-hmm. And this is where, when Hancock had said they could at least bother to measure us, at least one of them, they got to kind of tuck his legs in. Hancock, yeah, barely fits. But then we get a, we find out what kind of became of uh, two of the other characters in this film. So Thomas uh, returned to the law practice, though he lived as a recluse dying in 1945. Uh, Taylor, the intelligence officer, stayed in South Africa and was appointed the senior administration post. And then George was released after serving three years and wrote the book, Scapegoats of the Empire, which the play was based on that. And he died in 1943. I wonder if that's still in print. I'd actually be interested in reading that book. I'm sure it is. I'm sure you could dig up a copy somewhere. But, but so, movie's over. Your movie, go ahead. Well, I can't hold up because I've never seen it, but I thought it was a brilliant film. Um, I want to watch it again without taking notes and stopping it and, and typing. I just want to watch it from beginning to end because I thought it was beautifully shot, beautifully acted. Uh, the story was compelling. It did exactly what it was supposed to do and was to get an emotional charge which it did, um, I would highly recommend it to anybody. All right. So this is a, a film that is interesting in that if I had watched this on my own, I would have tapped out. Really? The first five minutes or so, it just it, it just wasn't catching me. It does not have that you know thing that hooks you immediately. But once I got to that seven-minute, that 10-minute mark, I'm like, okay, I get it. And then I watched it and you just mentioned it and I mentioned it earlier, this film, it made me angry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really made me angry. And I know it it, it takes 
liberties with, you know, there were six guys and there was 27 victims, whatever. But just the miscarriage of justice and the reason for this mis- miscarriage of justice, I mean, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but it was very good. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it would be hard to do this film as a fiction story as opposed to a nonfiction story, because I do not think they would allow it to end like this. Okay. But I mean, I definitely would recommend it to somebody. Uh, Do you think Jen watched it? Yes. And now it's time for Jen's two-second movie review. It was informative. That was Jen's two-second movie review. Jen! (laughs) Informative. Yeah. All right, ready to move on? I am. Watcha. 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 Watcha All right. All caught up on Barry. Again, it got weird and not funny. Just weird. Uh, all caught up on Citadel. It's, it, it, it is what it is. It's got beautiful people in it and it's got great action and it's a little silly, but it's, it's a nice way to kill 45 minutes. I've watched the first three episodes of the show called Silo on Apple, Apple? TV. Okay. Yeah. Based on a series of books, friend of show Dan was telling me about it. Um, it's not bad. I like Rebecca Ferguson. I don't know. There's something about her. I, I like her in the Mission Impossible movies, and she's pretty good in this. Uh, the boy and I watched Tommy Boy with um, Chris Farley. Sure. It, there are some laugh out moments, but for the most part, it's stupid. You can definitely tell you can, all the SNL alum that's in it. It's just you know, those 90, 1990s SNL movies were not that great. Uh, I watched a movie about the Iraq War called Yellow Birds with the guy who played young Han Solo. It was okay. Um, having a problem. I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and I can't fall back to sleep. So I'll put on these camping ASMR videos on YouTube where it just shows like some guy in the woods like setting up his campsite and making coffee and it's raining and he's got his dog and it's it it, it just lulls you to sleep they're great i've watched a uh, lot of asmr videos but is it <laughs> no, yeah, none of them were about camping it was more <laughs> yes uh i'm watching this series by this youtuber called reckless ben about how he infiltrated scientology because i listened to this podcast the cleared hot podcast and he had a former scientologist on there and it, it's absolutely fascinating. Have you watched Going Clear? I have. It's been a while, but I mean, this guy was saying stuff that I had never heard before. And then this reckless Ben actually has spy glasses on and and goes through like their Sunday church service and getting audited and all this stuff. And it's I mean, he's he's kind of immature, but it's still interesting. And then we're about almost done with this movie called Mosul or Mosul, which I've seen before. I probably even talked about it. It's about these Iraqi SWAT team members that are trying to clear out of this city that is infested with ISIS fighters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Continue to weekly watch Fatal Attraction. Okay. So Jen can sit next to me in bed and motherfuck me. Every time he cheats. Yes. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, we finished The Diplomat. All right. Uh, 
the ending is better than the rest of the series is, and I thought the series was good. The ending was really good. Okay. Uh, Succession. That's an uncomfortable show to watch, honestly. Yeah. At least this season it is because you have Tom the Cuck and his relationship with um, the redhead is mm-hmm. it's just uncomfortable to watch. Um, latest episodes of Beavis and Butthead. Um, watched the first couple episodes of The Citadel. Uh, watched a couple episodes of Next Generation and with commercials. What 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 do you think of Citadel? Um, it's okay. It, it it's, is what it's it so is. over the top, violent, uh huh, and a little bit unrealistic with some of the yes. stuff. Yes. And I watched um in the shadow of nine eleven. It is a short. It's like a forty minute documentary about a high school that is a block and a half away from the World Trade Center or mm. Freedom Tower. Mm-hmm. And it was talking to the kids that were in school that day. It was kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, I watched the first three seasons of What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> All right. I watched Cocktail. Okay. <laughs> Had to do that to see where I could pull clips from. Uh, I watched Air. Oh, what's that on? Amazon Prime. Oh, is it is it good? Yeah, it's it is. I, I okay. watched it last night. All right. And then I watched um because of this movie, I watched a documentary called Thought Crime. Um The Case of the Cannibal Cop. Okay. And it is a documentary about a guy who was a New York City police officer who was uh he belonged to certain websites that were about kidnapping and raping and killing people Mm. on like the dark web. And he, you know, was talking about, Hey, I'd really like to kidnap this woman and put her in my oven and, you know, slice her into like little pieces of bacon and blah, 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 blah. And he never did anything. He just was in these chat rooms Mm -hmm. and his wife was kind of, hey, what is he doing on the computer every night? So she got what's called a keylogger, which is a thing that you plug into your computer and it captures all the keystrokes mm-hmm. from your computer and then like takes screen prints. And she took that to the cops and he got arrested and he went to jail. Really? But, but he never did anything. And, huh. and it was kind of... I, I, and they showed a bunch of the like the text threads he was in or the message threads he was in talking about stuff. And it was disturbing shit. But at the same time, he never actually did anything. He was yeah. he was arrested conspiracy to kidnap. And he was sentenced to life in prison. Wow. And it was uh and they they interview him and there's something not right about him, but at the same time he didn't actually commit a crime. You know, it, it, it's like conspiracy. Conspiracy is this weird thing where you have to have an interaction with at least one other person and you have to have an action that potentially could lead to you actually doing the crime you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird catch-all, almost like uh, disturbing the peace or obstruction of justice that they can charge you with. Mm-hmm. But... It's interesting because I, they they don't paint him as a sympathetic character because he's fucking crazy, because he's talking about raping and cooking and blah 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 all these women, but at the same time he never did anything. 
Yeah, that's rough. So it's a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. So okay. Red, I, uh, I think actually you have something I here. Have, I, ha- I have a very quick blurb. Howdy, partners. Now it's time for Listener Reaction Roundup. Yeehaw! Yeah, friend of show, Sean, texted me and he said, Matt's warrior intro was painful. <laughs> I said, yes, but Ginger Lynn made up for it. He said, yes, that was so damn funny. I'm going to go have a sad jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish you wouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> Nobody likes my warrior bed. All right, so ready for next week's movie? I am. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. Three degrees for next week's movie, and I think I like it. And now it's time for Jen's... Oh, sorry. Okay, for next week's movie. I just got to say, first of all, I am I'm super happy that you just thought that Breaker... Morant was like your favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Obviously, this is I was. Just, I mean, I thought you would like it, but I didn't think that you would love it the way you did. Spoiler alert! Yeah, this was recorded like three weeks ago or two weeks ago. But <laughs> so, uh, one question, only one question for you: Do you want the movie I thought it was, or the movie it actually was? And I'll explain that. I wanted to do a movie. And then when I got the movie, I'm like, this is not the right movie. I was actually thinking of a different movie, which I also have not seen. So you either want the oh. one I thought it was or the one it actually is. I think the one it actually is. Okay. Or no, no, the one. So so you got a movie, you thought it was X, and then you put it in and it's Z. Right. Yes. I want X. Okay. So you want the real one. Okay. Yes. Uh, Brian Brown plays Pinter. In this week's movie, he plays Raleigh in 1986's FX. Jerry Orbach plays Nicholas DeFranco in that film. Dun, dun. Orbach plays film director in 1977's The Sentinel. Jeff Goldblum plays Jack in that film. Goldblum plays New Jersey in next week's 1984 weirdly titled film that has a bunch of watermelons. Buckaroo Banzai? Yes. <laughs> was it the watermelons that gave it to you? No, it was just Jeff Goldblum with this with this goofy name. Okay, that I, I remember. I think everybody has goofy names in that num in that movie. Well, the other one was pretty obvious because the uh, the other one was Brian Brown plays Pinter in this week's movie. He plays Art in 2001's Sticks. Peter Weller plays Nelson in that film. Nelson plays Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> okay. In next week's 1984. Insane so we've film. never talked about that movie on this podcast. No, not that I can think of. Huh. All right. What was the movie you thought? What What was the movie that that got? is still in the hopper? As oh. is a potential other one. Okay. So I I can't I can't read you the details of that one. All right. All right. So that's it for that one. All right. Buckaroo Banzai and the what fifth dimension or the uh, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Eighth dimension. John Lithgow was in that. Yes, he is. Helen Hunt too. <laughs> She's in just about everything. Yep. Yeah, you can tell that we pre-recorded that because we didn't call him Peter one time in this film. No, we called him Hancock. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, that's it. You got anything else? No, the movie is available on Amazon Prime. It is. Yes. Yes. I already started watching it. 
It's weird. It's this one and the one that I did not pick or you did not pick based on your selection. Both of them are supposed to be classics. What was the one that I didn't pick? You didn't tell me. I can't tell you because I might do it later. Oh. You didn't listen to the whole thing that I just played, did you? I did. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> this this whole podcast is, okay, words, 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 clip, repeating, words, 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 words. <laughs> and for, All right. for me, that's fine because I have an excuse. You don't have an excuse. You did the same thing with your own clips. Yeah. Yeah. All, All right. right. Go ahead. Bring All right. Home. Well, thanks everybody for listening uh, and joining us here for a two and a half hour podcast. Not bad. It's Not about bad the sweet all. spot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to reach out to the show? Betamaxrewind at yahoo.com. We'd appreciate an email from any of our listeners, good or bad. Like us on Facebook, rate and review where you get your fine podcasts and uh, help amazing people like yourselves find a couple of twats like us. Yeah, you are what you eat. Yep. Um, so yeah, next week, Buckaroo Banzai. Yep. Jeff Goldblum. Robocop. A Spanish guy that you've seen in a million things. Clancy Brown is in it. Uh, John Lithgow. There's a ton of people. Ellen Barkin is in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised how many people I recognized in that movie. See you love. Yeah. See you love. Yeah. All right. She's got a yeah. great ass. That's not from Sea of Love. It's still Al Pacino. It is Al Pacino. Yeah. She looks, good in this, she looks good in this movie, too. Yeah. Well, I don't know where you're getting watermelons from. I, I, I remember somebody saying that there are watermelons in the background of almost every scene. Really? Now yeah. I'm going to have to watch. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Well, it's hard when you're... Have you started watching this film yet? No, I watched the trailer. Okay, there's a lot of shit to take notes on. There's a lot going on in this movie. I mean, a lot. So, I okay. think you'll be surprised. Yeah. So, so all right. See you next week for. Uh, you have a you have a day in mind? No, not a, not a fucking clue. I know my wedding anniversary is next weekend. So, I think I think Saturday I'm being taken out for dinner. Okay. Um. So. Maybe Friday. All right. Just let me know. So we'll see you whenever for uh, Buckaroo Bonsai. All right. <laughs> <laughs>